Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 41. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by the power of Zoom by Cody Saftik. Coming off the heels of UFC Vegas 40, Godnez shit in the apple pie. Bellator more than took up or made up for it if you were following Cody's parlays. You came out well ahead that this past weekend. But uh, another offering, a 13-fight offering. It's good times all around, Cody. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, hell yeah, dude. I mean, honestly, the last three cards have been a mixture of everything. The UFC had the apple pie shit with Godinez, and I did really struggle to find someone to parlay at the top with Menno Fioro, but you warned me, and I was ignorant. I didn't take the advice, so you could have saved me there. Then the Bellator, we went 11 for 12 overall, but we hit all the way up to 10-fight parlays, Mm -hmm. so super happy with that. But then last night's Contender Series, that's a more appropriate you know, example of what we're looking to do the rest, the rest is just extra, is we went out, we hit two of the three props. One of them was a plus 165. The props came out profitable. We went, ended up hitting the top ticket. It was a minus 165 after you got steamed on the top three favorites. And unfortunately, Johnny Parsons had to just swip that and not had him on the PRP instead of Kolev, who, you know, pulled a Kolev, I suppose. Well, actually, it wasn't so much that. It was his opponent was just known to get taken down and come back. But that's more appropriate. You grind out that profit. You grind out that profit. You grind out that profit. And you hope to hit the big one. Mm -hmm. And this card this week, Paul, I feel a lot better about it. And I don't feel good about the Bellator card, right? It's in Russia. You know somebody's taking a dive. And uh, (laughs) it is going to be a greasy uh, proposition. Whereas whereas this card, a couple spots I do actually like. Yeah, somebody's somebody's definitely taking the, the dive in Mother Russia. These things just happen in MMA. You just have to be you have to be prepared for it. Something fishy is going on in Moscow. I can tell you that much. Uh, and it will usually be a Russian winning. So make sure, you know, if you think that Russians are the Russian is too big of a favorite, it's probably <laughs> some there's something there's something stinky about that apple pie. I'll tell you that much. Anyway, we're focusing on UFC here. We'll talk a little bit about Bellator uh at the end of the show. We got uh Marvin, Mad Marvin Vittori taking on Paulo Costa, minus 145 Vittori, plus 125 Costa. Who you got here, bud? So I feel like I want to go with Marvin Vittori, but we're going to get a much better price on him live after he likely drops the first round and may potentially drop the first two rounds. But then I expect Marvin Vittori to be able to take over 3-4-5. Hopefully he's not down 0-2, but it's going to be dicey early because Paulo Costa, it's a tale of two Paulo Costas. The guy that fought Yoel Romero, had pressure unlike you've ever seen in the middleweight division. What are you supposed to do to back this guy up? All he did was march down Yul Romero. All he did was landing thudding combinations. Dropped him, got dropped, got back up, and got right back in his face. It's a tremendous performance. Good fight, great fight, but he gasses pretty hard after the second round. And in the third round, Yul, as tired as he is, because Yul's not exactly known to be a cardio machine himself, Paulo's hands are low. He gets busted up. Nose gets busted. Takes a tremendous amount of damage in the third round. And then round ends. Paulo's up 2-0 on the judges' scorecards. He gets the unanimous decision. The very next fight against Israel Adesanya, a lot of people, unfortunately, how stupid is this? Myself included. Me too. Bet Paulo Costa. I know. So stupid. Because I thought he was going to pressure him. I thought he was going to get in his face. I thought he was going to march him backwards. Kelvin Gastelum, a five foot nine welterweight, was able to march this guy backwards, put him on his back foot, even, even dropped him with a head kick. Wobbled him with a head kick. Why can't Paulo Costa do the same thing? But sometimes what happens is you engage in these huge wars. You take a ton of damage. And on top of that, he gets so gassed out in the third round 
from pressuring so much that the very next fight's like, yeah, you know what? Not only am I going to drink a bottle of wine the night before the fight, I'm also not going to pressure this guy because it's going to tire me out. He's got five rounds to fight. First time he's ever been in a five-round fight. Knows he can't even fight three, so he paces him. And the result, laughable. That was a god-awful performance Mm -hmm. against Israel Adesanya. But we will give him a slight pass because it's Israel Adesanya. Fair enough. That gives you back a look at his UFC career, right? Gareth McClellan, first-round finish. Oluwele uh, Bombase. Second round finish. Johnny Hendricks, second round finish. Uriah Hall, second round finish. Yoel Romero went the distance, gassed out hard, going into the third. First time he'd been in the third. And then the Israel Adesanya fight, a second round finish again. So it Marvin's cast iron. No one's ever knocked out Marvin. Yeah. Not only has Marvin never been knocked out, Marvin's never been knocked down. And if you thought Izzy pieced up Costa pretty bad, like Marvin took all of his best shots for 25 minutes and stood the test of time. He's only 28 years old. He's continuously getting better. Uh, people say... How does Paulo Costa pass a drug test? How does Marvin Vittori pass one, right? So that edge is going to be nullified both ways. And then when you look at Marvin, and you know, I've been back in this kid for a while now, but the Jack Hermanson fight, it was his first time being in a five-rounder. People are like, well, how is he going to respond to that? Wins the first three, drops a four. Actually, sorry. Wins the first two, drops a third. Uh-oh. Comes back and wins fourth and fifth. Good. Cardio looked good. Kevin Holland fight five rounds again. Goes all five rounds. I didn't think he looked great in that fight. He took the easy path which is, I guess, you know, good. We bet on him, whatever. Take the easy path. Didn't look great in that fight, but it went 25 minutes. And then his last fight against Izzy went 25 minutes. The guy's nine of his last 10 fights have gone to decision, including his last three, which were all five rounders. So I'm not worried about Marvin fighting five rounds and I'm not really worried about Marvin's durability. Whereas Paulo, yeah, I'm worried about a lot of things. He's been off for a year. Uh, he's coming off a humiliating defeat. And he, if he can't pressure for 25 minutes and he can't hang back for 15, bad proposition. But I think he's still live in the first round. He still probably does win the first round. And then Marvin gets his ass in gear. Marvin's also mm-hmm. not a really fast starter most fights. So you'll get a live, you'll better get a better live odd here. But the official pick will be Marvin Vittori on the minus 145. I'm just thinking you'll either get minus 110 or maybe like a slight plus money tag. If he drops the first round and if he gets knocked out in the first round, because it's MMA poll, it's yeah. MMA poll. Well, at least you're covered on that side of things, right? Yeah, that I mean, that all kind of makes sense. My my initial lean when I was before listening to you there was I was thinking Costa because I'm just not entirely sure that Marvin can just out grapple him early on at least. But if he gets tired round three, then Marvin's going to be able to get those takedowns and, and keep himself out of the danger zone. Um, you're you're right about Marvin having great durability, great chin, able to take an absurd amount of punishment from uh, Israel Adesanya. Paulo's scary. Paulo hits hard enough that he could knock out any any man if he lands the clean, perfect punch. But um, you know, plus one twenty five or even plus two twenty five by knockout. I mean, if you were going to bet Costa, I think you go the knockout route at plus two twenty five. But I, I think you're on to something. Probably best to wait wait for live markets here. Uh, we haven't seen any reason to believe that Costa can go five rounds. What does he look like in round four? We have no idea. <laughs> so, um, yeah, probably a better one to bet live. Make sure Vittori's head doesn't get knocked clean off and, and go from there. Um, a lot of what you said made sense. Uh, moving on down the card, we got Grant Dawson taking on Ricky Glenn. Grant Dawson minus three sixty five. Ricky Glenn plus two eighty. This line seems very very steep. 
as far as I'm concerned. Um, Grant Dawson's always kind of concerned me. There was like a bunch of, he does like jump, he did like in one fight, I forget which one now off the top of my head, but he was doing like a bunch of like jumping knees and stuff like that, leaving himself very, very vulnerable. I don't think Ricky Glenn is the world's biggest power puncher by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, he is coming off of a great performance where he just absolutely deaded Joaquin Silva. But uh, I'm concerned. Like Ricky Glenn's always, I find him to be a bit of a conundrum because it's like, you know, when he took on Gavin Tucker way back when, I didn't really think that he was going to be able to do what he did, which is just absolutely dominate in the grappling exchanges. If Grant Dawson can't control and just win every single exchange in the grappling exchanges here, I don't really like what I see from him on the feet. Obviously, he's got James Krause in his corner. He's going to have a good game plan coming into this fight. But for me right now, I kind of feel like it's dog or pass. I don't really want to lay the minus 365 on Grant Dawson. What's your take here? Yeah, so I can kind of agree in a lot of senses is that, geez, uh, if this is a striking battle, I don't think people are definitely overlooking the fact that Rick Lund probably has a significant striking advantage in this fight. What it's going to come down to is the takedown defense. And the other thing with Rick Glenn is the guy had been off for three years, had had a major hip surgery, left his gym, relocated to Iowa, got a job as a plumber, and then came out of complete obscurity to take a fight with Joaquin Silva. How many question marks does this guy got? We need some answers here, Paul. And he didn't actually answer any of them. No. He just knocked out Joaquin Silva 37 in 37 seconds, seconds. Too quick. And Joaquin Silva can't take a punch. That is something we also know. Mm-hmm. So with Rick, it's like, well, did his takedown defense get any better? Is his cardio any better? Is his striking better over a prolonged period of time? Or did the game someone go by? Because his fights prior to that, Joaquin Silva is also cut, by the way. Kevin Aguilar, I believe he's cut. He might be clinging on to a job. Dennis Bermudez is cut. Miles Jury's cut. Gavin Tucker is pretty do- uh, good. Uh, Evan Dunham's retired and Felipe Nova is released from the promotion. So none of the guys that he was fighting back in the day are still caught in it other than Gavin Tucker. And that was a life-changing beating. I can't take that win away from him. I mean, he almost killed a guy in the UFC. They should have stopped that fight three times over. We'll talk about the Alpar finish later over Jesse Jess. But like, this is times three. Like, this guy put an absolute beating, but there's just not enough in the in-between. Here's what we can look at. His first loss in the UFC, Evan Dunham, it was because the takedown defense let him down, Right. Even back in the day, he was fighting Lance Palmer in World Series of Fighting. Takedown defense, lets him down. The fight with Miles Jury, takedown defense, lets him down. Because of mm-hmm. the two takedowns, unable to get off his back, gets grinded out by Miles Jury. Not a great wrestler. Dennis Bermudez, he wins a split decision, but he gives up six takedowns. <clears throat> it's an issue of his. When you see his frame, he's not exactly the most physically strong guy, but he's a long, lanky striker. He's a precision striker. He's a good counter puncher. I'm not taking anything away from him. But the way you beat those guys is just to put an old-fashioned grinding on them, which, which obviously Joaquin Silva wasn't going to do. Grant Dawson, meanwhile, I'll tell you why I'm worried, man. You watch back that Leonardo Santos fight. He gets outstruck in the first round, handedly, mm-hmm. by Leo Santos. The second round, he outstrikes Leo Santos, but he gets taken down. And so it could also be a Leo Santos round. And then James Krause had to come out two weeks ago and apologize because, oh, I gave Tim Elliott bad advice. I told him he's up to nothing. Why does this guy even feel the need to apologize? But he apologizes. And then last week, you see with Aspen Lance's corner, um jim west it's like oh man what a piece of shit how was you talking to her right said, like, go back and watch go back that was and watch so ridiculous i can't believe uh, I people I who were saying that <clears throat> you know you didn't you well, don't okay. you don't if understand you, you know what makes lo- it more ridiculous like, tough love is tough going- love in sports man like you, sometimes your coach has to say that you aren't doing great to try to motivate you to do better to change your game to 
I thought everything that he was doing in the corner was like perfect. I even said it on Twitter, and then I was like, sh- like not shocked because people people I are, disagree with that. People are slightly. Snow- but well, that's because that's because it's your baby. You probably felt bad for. Her. No, no, that's not why. I'll tell you why I disagree with the statement. Right? It wasn't how he was talking to her. Didn't have a problem with that because that's how you would talk to a male athlete. There'd be no problem. It's what he was telling her was uh, there was nothing there. There's no substance. It wasn't like, this is how you're going to get it to the ground. This is how you're going to set up your strikes. It was just like, you need to wake up and do more. You need to wake up and do more. It's like, ah, right. But you saying what? that you need to throw more than one strike to break yeah. into the clinch. Like you can't just throw jabs and expect to get down to the hips. That's essentially that's, what he was saying. That's, that's fair, right? So what I'm saying is that you got Kraus is a great coach. He's apologizing because he gave bad advice. And you got this guy, you know, was he too tough? I'm just, I'm, all I'm saying is go back and watch Grant Dawson, uh, Leo Santos, specifically right after round two, really leading up to round, the start of round three, the minute on the in-between. And he's just like, look at me, look at me. He like lifts his head up. You know, he gets in his face, look at me. He's like, you might be down 0-2. He's like, is de- it could be 1-1, but let's not think about that. It's 0-2. Screw the double leg takedowns. He's too strong on the double leg. He, this guy's strong on those. You need to switch to the single. He's like, set up your shots. Like He just he walks him through it, and then Grant Dawson slouches his head forward. He lifts his head. Look at me. And then Grant Dawson, do you want water? And the last thing Dawson says as he goes out is he's like, you're like, yeah, yes, coach. Yes, coach. Like, he's right back in it. Like, yes, coach. And what does he go do? He goes out there. He has his best round of the fight, and he goes out and he gets a finish. <laughs> finish with like three seconds. Thank God, because I didn't know how they were going to score it on the judges' scorecards. I had a 1-1 going into third. Could have been 2 nothing Santos, though. But why this fight worries me is, yes, we've seen him vulnerable in those striking exchanges. But the same thing won him this fight that is going to win him the Rick Glenn fight. So the same thing that won the Santos fight is going to win the Rick Glenn fight. It's that ability to, even if you have a bad first round, get hit a few times, Put the grind on him, man. Put the grind on. This kid comes from a decent wrestling background, wrestled well in high school, didn't really wrestle long in, in, in college, but you see him in the UFC. It's more of a, it's a, it's a MMA style of wrestling. Most of his takedown attempts come off the cage. The fact that he was repeatedly shooting takedowns on Leo Santos, who wants to go to the ground with Leo Santos? That's true. No, this kid knew, yo, I'm going to get him on the ground. And when I do watch out and when he did get him to the ground, he battered him, Paul. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked good on the ground. So the thing with Rick Glenn is he is a submission guy, but throwing up arm bars and triangles, probably not going to get the job done no. 2021 against a guy like Grant Dawson. And Dawson will eventually get the grind going. We know he can fight 15 minutes. We know he's got good cardio. He's 27 years old, 27, 27 years old, only getting better. And of course he does got James Cross in his corner, understands his athlete, understands his man. And coming off the Tim Elliott thing, don't want close rounds. Let's put it on this kid and let's break him down. So with Rick Glenn, all he's got is the one 37-second knockout since he's come back. I got to revert back to too many unknowns. And with Grant Dawson, I've never bet against this kid once in the UFC. He's usually a big favorite. So, And this is another case of he is a big favorite. But he uh, he fights for my dollar. And those are the kind of guys that I want to back day in, day out. That seems fair enough. I'm just scared by the price. but it, it yeah, all... It's not a good price. But yeah, Ricky, you're right. 37 seconds. Flash knockout. Do we really know that he's like a, a brand new man? Probably not. All right, moving on down. Well, we got- sorry, sorry. Last thing I want to throw on, because you're very funny you mentioned that. So these were his fights prior to that. Dunham decision, Nover decision, Gavin Tucker decision, Miles Jury decision, Dennis Bermuda's decision, Kevin Aguilar decision, and he ices a guy in 37 seconds. It's the first time he's ever knocked out a guy in the UFC. First time any of his fights ended, and now he's reinvented like... 
I, I'm going towards fluke, right? To me, that screams like, you know, uh, it, Gianni the Greek would be like, I don't know. He'd say something about some, <laughs> let's, let's just move on. But he'd say something about how uh, the number, I, I don't know. I don't even know where oh, I'm going. There, the that. regression. There's there's a regression. There's the regression a regression to the mean. The regression to the yeah. mean. Wow. I, I'm fine. A lot of people hate on John. I don't really. I, I don't mind him, dude. I don't really Johnny, worry about what anybody like else is doing these days. I used to make fun of him a whole bunch on Twitter, but I don't. Watch, if you watch Contenders anymore. every week, he gives his picks, so it's pretty easy to track, and the guy makes money. So who cares what his process is? And as far as his delivery, yeah. I like him. He's a personality of the game, but. Uh, in this game, the bigger you get, the more exposure you get. Just somebody don't like you. The more people that see you, more people that don't like you. He's got a, he's got the best gig. Who wouldn't want his gig, right? So there's gonna obviously be people that don't like the guy, but he's just an added element to 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 a, a contender speech. So that's what makes contender. He talks like, about the, the wise Dogg guy, edition, but he's got the else. he he talks about the wise guys, but he's got the voice of the wise guy. You're right. He's a wise guy. He's, He's a, a wise sharp, guy. Sharp money, He's such baby. A wise guy. All right, moving on down. We got Jessica Rose Clark taking on Jocelyn Edwards. Minus 145 Clark, plus 125 Edwards. I mean, rewatching the Jessica Rose Clark fight against Alpar, I thought she did, pr- like, Alpar was wrestle or bust completely in that fight. And I thought Jessica Rose Clark did pretty good at, you know, her defensive wrestling throughout it. And then as the fight went on, cardio held up. And, I mean, Chris Tyone definitely bet the over because that <laughs> fight was really, really tough to watch for, like, the last, like, three or four minutes. Uh, obviously, there was, like, the the knee that they said that she was down, but obviously she wasn't. And then they restarted. This girl's got blood all over her face. She's clearly concussed. Jessica Rose Clark gets the job done after uh, the over two and a half caches for Chris and his, and his, uh, and his cronies. But... Um, so yeah, so yeah, it's like I I think that the defensive wrestling seems to check out. The way to beat Jocelyn Edwards, what Carol Rose I watched rewatch that fight. Carol Rose is a good wrestler, good all around martial artist for sure. Edwards had like no answer for the takedowns whatsoever, and on top of that, she was taken down in her UFC debut against Wu Yanan. She ended up winning that fight by decision. But it's like she got taken down there. I think the takedown defense is massively questionable. The path to victory for Jessica Rose Clark is the wrestling. And I was about to bet it. And then I remember I was making fun of like people who have face tats on Twitter. Because like logically, the path to victory, and I even see on her Twitter, she's posting like her doing wrestling drills and stuff like that for this fight. Just like the logical way to win this fight is get the takedown, get top control. You seem very, very strong in those exchanges. The opponent you're taking on doesn't seem to have much resistance to that type of game plan. Well, then the face tat, Cody. Face tat leads me to believe she's going to just try to get into a striking match in this fight. And I, I don't know. I need you to talk some sense into me because I think the path is completely there for Jessica Rose Clark to get the job done here. Uh, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle top control, hold it, a little bit of ground and pound, maintain position. It should be hers all day. And I think what I saw in the Alpar fight leads me to believe that she's really made some real strides in that part of her game. Um, I'm, I'm only half joking about like the face tat thing. And like, she's 33. She seems like she's, you know, 
she's in a better a better place than she was like when she first entered the UFC uh, mentality. Maybe I'm just reading into that, but it seems that way from what I see on social media and stuff like that. Pick is is Jessica Rose Clark. I think it should be pretty easy, but I'm a little bit scared that if she doesn't shoot for takedowns, then what? Yeah, to be honest with you, I kind of see this one more as a dog or pass. Like, really? I wouldn't mind even just hitting the straight pass on it. Or if you need underdogs on this card, potentially on a Jocelyn Edwards. I agree 100% with what you're saying. The path of victory is 100% laid out. Jocelyn Edwards has had two fights in the UFC. The Wu Yanan fight, she got taken down a bunch of times and easily. But she's taking on a limited opponent. She gets back up. The striking's certainly there. It's not refined. It's not polished. I'd like to see a little more. But she still lands like 88 significant strikes. Um, put, pushes a decent enough pace. And then you see that fight with Carl Rosa. Well, Carl Rosa is a top, I think top five, but certainly a top 10 level talent. Um, someone who's cutting, doing very excellent in the UFC. And still, you know, she gives up the takedowns, but she defends herself. She does okay in the stand-up department. It's just the takedown defense. Now with Jesse Jess Rose Clark, could she take the path of victory? Certainly she could, but she's never scored more than two takedowns in any of her UFC fights. Beyond that, the Paney Kianzad fight. Why would you want to strike with Penny Kianzad, right? And she's getting doubled up. She's getting beat to the punch. She's clearly losing these rounds. And she attempts two takedowns whole fight. So it wasn't part of her game plan. Even the Sarah Alpar fight, a lot of it was counter-wrestling. Alpar's trying to wrestle you. But she wanted to keep the fight standing, and she wanted to work her, her, her striking. The fights that she does have takedowns in are over Beck Rawlings, where she won a split decision. Beck Rawlings is a strawweight fighter uh, at her best. I know she fights at flyweight now. Paige Van Zant. Paige Van Zant is a strawweight fighter who now just happens to fight a flyweight, but they're not, these are smaller women, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then she's supposed to fight Andrea Lee. Pulls out day before, day of, due to complications due to a weight cut. So the UFC's like, no more 125 for you, going up to 135. And that 135 is where I don't wonder where maybe her wrestling's just really not all that good. She was a big body at 25. She's physically strong at 25. Mm-hmm. That's that grind against the cage can definitely have some success. And the that's page what she fight did that I was opponents. watching, thinking that path could potentially be there, but the size, the size could matter, yeah. And Jocelyn Edwards seems to be the natural 35er. Like she's had her last number of fights at 135 pounds. She's also only 25 years old, 26 years old, sorry. And if you go on her social media stuff, uh, she's in Kings MMA right now, California. She's far as a cyborg. She gets in rounds with like some of the best girls in the sport. And again, at 26, being under the tutelage of Rafael Cordero. Yeah, listen, so is Sabina Mazzo. And that did not work out whatsoever. So it's not a, it's not an end all be all. I'm just saying, you know, at least she's putting herself in a good situation to succeed. Jesse Jess Rose Clark, meanwhile, all the best fights of her career have all been at Extreme Couture, right? But then, actually, for her last fight against Alpar, and she did look at against Alpar. Don't get me wrong. She leaves Extreme Couture. She moves over to California. She's 33 years old. She shows two fights back that she against Toledo Bernardo. She pulls out of the fight, tearing right foot ligaments, right? personally when i see her social media a lot of it's strength and conditioning stuff but you could see that she's battled a lot of injuries and at 33 and with her style and a lot of bad weight cuts i just feel like she's put a lot of mileage on her whereas edwards is going to be a little bit faster if she moves linearly and can avoid getting tied up against the cage or getting taken down she's it's going to be a live dog fight probably goes 15 probably goes 15 going to be a close 15 so why wouldn't i want the plus 125 on that spot anyways a dogger pass i either want nothing to do with it or like, you know, if I got to chase a dog somewhere, I think this is a live spot. Well, you talked to me out of a Rose Clark or Jessica Rose Clark bet there, bud. 
I'm gonna blame well, you if she hopefully wins. Hopefully she doesn't come out here and just absolutely dominate. Like I the didn't Alpine. actually <laughs> want to do it, but that was like that was kind of my read. I'm like the bass should be there, but we'll see. Face tat, face tat, battering IQ. Yeah, yeah. It well, yeah. You know the the Perry effect saved me potentially from uh, from losing a whole bunch of money here. All right, moving on down. We got Sung Woo Choi taking on Alex Bruce Leroy Caseras. Minus 280 for Choi, plus 225 Caceres. Weird situation where Caceres isn't taller than like one of his opponents. Like that pretty much rarely ever happens. He's five foot ten. He's fought a lot at 135 pounds, which has helped. But at 145, um, obviously there's going to be bigger frames. And Sungwoo Choi, six foot tall, has a one inch reach advantage. It's a weird stylistic matchup for Alex Caceres because he's not used to taking on guys this size. Do you have a hot lean on this one? Yeah, honestly, nothing's a lock in the sport, so I'm interested in seeing how this one goes. But Su Wong Choi looks like he'll probably be top ticket material this week. I just really like how he matches up with one Bruce Lloyd Caceres. Uh, again, you look at his run in the UFC, he gets mobs our inflow of the debut. Yeah. Like, shit, kid, sorry about that one. But anyways, he survives the 15 minutes, just gets taken down repeatedly. And against Gavin Tucker, it's much of the same. His striking looks good. He's a former Korean Muay Thai champion. He actually competed as an amateur on the world scene and did quite well for himself. Um, but against Gavin Tucker, it's much of the same. He's getting taken down. But at some point, it's like once he figures out how to stuff some of these takedowns, uh, it's the same thing as why Godin has lost, right? These big, tall opponents who figure out, oh, man, I can keep my balance pretty easy. And once I realize how to draw my hips into them uh, and keep my balance, it, they're just such a big problem to take down. Suman Mokhtarian fight, man, I want to learn from that. He beat up Suman, no big deal. It's the Yusuf Zalal fight. And that's why this key's fight. Yusuf Zalal fights almost identical to Bruce Leroy Caceres. They both move a lot on the outside. They like a couple rinky-dink kicks here and there. Volume's not very good. And they're trying to mix in a surprise takedown. They'll try to grind you up against the cage a little bit. And Bruce Leroy's got a better submission game than Zalal does. But Zalal's younger, a little more, little quicker than Bruce Leroy, a little stronger than Bruce Leroy. So this is a great fight to go back and look at. And of course, we had Sung Woo Choi in this spot because Zalal seems to struggle to take down some of these bigger guys. He's a plus 200 underdog. And he looked awesome in this spot. So rewatching that one especially, he lo looks even better than I remember him looking live. Um, the only success Zalal has is he presses him up against the cage. He'll get a little trip takedown and immediately Sumo Choi's back up. Once he's at distance, combination punches, mm -hmm. tight, tight, clean, two threes at a time. That kick, that kick is just, he's so long, right? He's got such a long frame that even if you were trying to pivot and get out, he covers a long range distance with it. And it's one of these slapping kicks, these thudding kicks. It sounds good in a small venue. You saw recently Tiago Santos beats Johnny Walker. And it was a pretty close fight. But what was the difference? It was like the three strikes that Tiago Santos landed made these big like smack sounds. Whereas the three strikes that Johnny Walker would landed per round. Yeah, and they were just like a little... God damn, that was such a bad fight. You know, a little faint, 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 touch and go, gone, right? So people like that big thud. And in this case, I think Sungo Choi is going to back up Bruce Leroy. Bruce Leroy not physically strong enough to get him down. When you look at uh, Julian Arosa, Yusuf Zalal, those guys put a little more on their strikes. Sit down on the strikes a little bit more, but he walks through all of it. He just walks them back, lands combinations. He's getting confident. And honestly, Paul, this kid's 28 years old now. Mm -hmm. All of that was just learning experience. Losing to Mavzar Evlov, you couldn't wrestle. Okay, no problem. You you continue to advance, you continue to get better, you continue to make those improvements. And to me, it just seems like he's making all the right improvements. Bruce Leroy, meanwhile, he is your classic gatekeeper fighter. He was actually 14 and 12 before jumping on this current four-fight winning streak, which includes Steven Peterson, who's 
clinging on for a job in the UFC. Chase Hooper, who just lost to Steven Peterson and is definitely clinging on to a job in the UFC. Austin Springer, Austin Springer just lost the one time and then he hasn't ever been seen or heard from since. And Kevin Kroom, who should not be in the UFC, no. but at the very least is clinging to a job in the UFC. Funny you should say that his wins prior to that, Martin Bravo cut, Roland D cut, Cole Miller retired, Masio Fullen cut, Sergio Pettis actually went on to win a Bellator world title, so that's a pretty decent one. But, of course, that was seven years ago now. Roland Delorme, cut. Uh, Monotobu Tsuzuka, cut. Yep, Demacio Page, cut. Cole Escovito, cut. So he's always operated at a level where if you shouldn't be here and you're fraudulent, then Bruce Leroy defeats you. And that's where he comes through. He exposes fraudulent fighters. But when I see Su Wong Choi, I see a decent prospect in the making. With his size, as you mentioned, six feet tall, you know, 74-inch reach on him, his striking acumen, if he can keep these fights standing, he's only going to get more comfortable and come into his own. So it's too big of a price tag. We hate paying these three-to-one yeah. favorites on these cards, no doubt about it. But the way I operate is I need to find some of these safer three-to-one favorites and put them together. And, and and again, Contender Series from last night's a great example. You had four guys on the card that are astronomical favorites. So we put three of them on the top ticket, but Solomon Renfro <laughs> sniffed it out. <laughs> so we got to we gotta just sniff out the bad favorites and go with the good ones. And I get the feelings who won't choose one of the good ones. So yeah, I'm I mean, have to roll with them. Going through Alex Caceres' last 10 fights, which brings you back to 2016, <laughs> he's landed three takedowns. Fact. So yeah. who's throwing yeah. the harder, cleaner, more technical strikes? It's going to be Choi. And Alex, yeah, Caceres is not used to taking on guys who actually have advantages in the reach and height department. So it's a tough and matchup for him. He's not used to getting in there in these types of fights with guys that can really hang at those ranges. It's usually, I mean, Chase Hooper can't strike for sh- Like maybe Chase Hooper may have had an advantage there, but Chase Hooper can't actually strike. So that yeah, was going to be a yeah. tough, tough day at the office for him regardless. And so. here's, and here's, here's of course, always the last question. Well, what about puncher's chance? I mean, it's an MMA fight. Of course, always exists. You tell me right now, look at his record. When was the last time he scored a clean knockout, right? Because Roland D, uh, Roland D's eye, something happened to his eye, and the doctor called it off after two. When was the last time he scored a clean knockout? And as you look for the answer to that, Kevin Kroom is not a durable fighter, and yet he went 15 minutes with him. Uh, Chase Hooper just took a beating, you know, he's just a kid, everything, right? Yeah. Yet, right, just ate but Hooper's Hooper's got for. like some sort of like mutant level durability, which is scary because his striking defense is so bad that it's like uh, that kid should be on like one of the regional scenes still but he got you know forced into this situation he's way too young he's way too green but you know Dana liked him on on contender series so he's in here taking on guys that I mean 5 years from now he works on a whole bunch of things he could be in the UFC I'm worried about his health basically um, in this sport. If he continues to take on guys at this level, I mean, we, we kind of, we've I'm, seen it I'm even saying, up until the Peterson yeah. fight. Um, and in this case for Bruce Leroy, the answer to the question is 2010, 2010, when he was on a Florida regional scene fight, he knocked out his opponent in the third round with the TKO mm-hmm. in his second pro fight ever in 2008, he TKO'd opponent. And those are the only two times he's TKO'd an opponent. Really? I mean, one was a doctor stoppage. So, Whatever. All I'm saying is he doesn't have the puncher's chance. He doesn't have the wrestling game. His path to victory is the submissions now. But if you can't take the guy down. You can't stand with him. It just it really puts you in a precarious situation. So for that, those are the reasons I feel like Suwo Choi has got to be one of our guys this week. All right, moving on down, we've got Grandpa 
Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo taking on 37-year-old Dwight Grant. Don't be fooled. Not really a uh, quote-unquote prospect. 43 versus 37. I mean, Cody hates old people. What's uh, what's <laughs> popping off? What's po- what's popping off in the age model here for you? Yeah. Okay. So Francisco Trinaldo, you got to realize is that the guy doesn't actually age. You know, he's one of these Yo Romero types where mm-hmm. his forty three is most got most guys thirty five. Probably and, 50. and with Dwight Grant, yeah, Dwight Grant's only ever had fourteen pro fights, and he's thirty seven years old. So it's not exactly like he's shop worn or used up by any stretch. Honestly, I found myself saying time and time again, I want to take the shot on Francisco Trinaldo. I want to take the shot on Francisco Trinaldo. I'm not 100% sure what would have opened that, but now that he's the favorite, I'm not interested in taking a shot on Francisco Trinaldo. I, Listen, I, I, I probably Dwight Grant. am. I'm- yeah, Dwight Grant has looked abysmal in the UFC so far. I mean, he lost his debut to Zach Otto, and he was a 3-1 to one favorite. He got a couple wins over Carlos Petrosoli, Alan Joban. The Joban fight, I don't think he won. He backpedaled the entire time. Uh, yeah, he fought a smart game plan. It uh, wasn't exciting for the fans, but it was a smart game plan in terms of securing a victory. But Joban marched him forward, and it was a close fight striking-wise. It was a competitive fight all the way through. Only you had one guy marching forward and unfortunately not doing a really good job of cutting off the ring and Dwight Grant just running the entire time. His fight with Daniel Rodriguez is absolutely as thrilling as thrilling gets. He drops him, he gets dropped, and then when he loses by first-round knockout, he goes back to the running away shit. So this fight with Stefan Sekulic, imagine this. Stefan Sekulic was 0-1 in the UFC. He lost that fight. So Sekulic then went 0-2. The UFC caught him. They didn't even give him a third or fourth fight. They released him. Sekulic also hadn't fought almost three years when he took this fight against Dwight Grant. And I thought he got a straight-up robbery. Seklich wins the first. Dwight Grant wins the second. Third-round Seklich drops him at the end of the third round. Rocks him. Gets on top. Lands a couple decent strikes. Dwight Grant just lost to Stefan Seklich. That's how bad this man is. And the judges gave it to him. It was a close fight, so I'm not going to scream robbery or anything like that. And not even like I bet it. I'm pretty sure I passed on that fight. Like It was not exciting then, and it's not exciting now. All I'm saying is... He's got this style where he runs away a lot of the time, and judges sometimes like it. And with Francisco Trinaldo, his output's not really all that good. He tries to land the big shot, but it's not like he's someone that's going to chase after you and consecutively put shots together. Whereas I, I wonder if Dwight Grant just doesn't stay to the outside, run away the whole time, land chipping shots at him, chipping shots at him, chipping shots at him. And unfortunately, it's a dull affair, but he secures himself a victory. I, I could honestly see that being a path. And then last but not least, and we can move on and you can give me your take on it, whatever you want. He was supposed to fight Gabe Green in this fight. Green pulls out, Trinaldo comes in short notice. So, you know, you got an underdog here that's got a short notice or replacement opponent. Trinaldo's 43. Is he the kind of guy that can just jump off the couch and jump in there? Yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's, right? he's at one. He's not like, yeah, because he's, he's got so much one... veteranship and yeah. Yeah, he doesn't he have had... a big weight cut anymore, I guess. Because he's at 170 now. He doesn't yeah. need to, like, it's not like he's walking around closer to his weight. Obviously, he's giving up size here. Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo has made me so much money over the years. So I'm betting him in this spot. Why? It really comes down to, like, durability. I'm not sh- I'm not sure that yeah. uh, if this turns into a firefight and Dwight Grant isn't able to run away, that um, if they start exchanging blows, I'm trusting Grandpa Trinaldo's durability. To keep himself, it may get he may get rocked, he may get wobbled a little bit, but the guy's tough as nails. And uh, yeah, we've had a good history. I, I'm I'm betting That's Grandpa. True. I'm betting Grandpa again here, bud. Um, if I lose, I lose. I'll still be up on Grandpa Trinaldo bets over the course <laughs> of my life by by a wide Fair margin. Enough. 
Love the guy. Legend. Maybe it's a heart over mine type of bet, but I'm doing it. All right, moving on down, we got Nick Nugumareno taking on Ike Villanueva, minus 220. Nugumareno, plus 180. Villanueva. I mean, this line is like a little bit startling. It's a hell of a fight, man. It's definitely a little bit startling. (laughs) Props to Nick Nugumareno. He looked a lot better. Super, much, much more improved against Alexa Kmore last time out. Um, Was it pretty? No. Do we think that this guy's some sort of like next level athlete who's going to take over the game? No. Was the fight super, super close? Yes. But, I mean, they gave him. This This is the layup, man. Ike is the worst guy in the division. Now that uh, Vincius Moreira, his only win in the UFC, yeah. uh, once one now that that guy is gone, I mean this is this is a great little bit. This is an easier fight for Nagumareno than the Kmore fight was. So I hate minus two twenty Nagumareno. It feels wrong. It feels horrible. Oh my god! Why don't you take a dog shot? It's just like I would never tell anybody to put a cent on Ike Villanueva. Just not gonna happen. The only way, yeah. Vincius Moreira, his own, it was because he was so one dimensional, uh, one dimensional. Um, whereas, like, he only has grappling, his striking's horrible, and he just had no striking defense. So it's just like he's just going to eat shots, shots all day to the to the melon. Um, no, don't bet Ike Villanueva. Even if Mike Villanueva somehow scrapes this one out, wins it, we don't think that Nick Nagumareno is some sort of world beater, but. I will never sit here at this desk and tell you to put your hard-earned dollars on Ike Villanueva. Never going to happen. What's your take here? Yeah, couldn't agree more, man. I mean, you're never going to uh, bet on Ike Villanueva. And again, it comes down to the fact that he's a one-round fighter. One-round fighter. The guy can fight competitively for three to five minutes. And then after that, he completely falls apart. So his path to victory against Nick Nigga Marianu is severely limited in the fact that the guy's pretty durable, man. I mean, the Saberbeck safarov fight, he's... Shit, he was young, man. He was only like 24 years old. He hasn't fought anybody. Actually, that's a lie. He, he's got a win over uh, Hatef Moel. Click on that guy if you want to see a jack specimen. Um, but anyways, you, you make your UFC debut. If you remember that fight, he gets a couple takedowns in the first round, but Safarov just keeps grabbing the cage. He's like, oh, I don't know. I can't grab the cage. They take a point. So it's a 9-9 for his tracks. He still loses, and then he gasses. Then he takes like three years away from the sport. Dude hadn't fought in over three years. But he comes back to the sport as a 27-year-old fighter. Clearly, he hadn't been sitting around. Again, you look at some of the stuff on social media, he's in excellent shape. He comes from a Romanian wrestling background. Obviously, he wasn't able to apply it against a combat Sambo specialist like Safarov in his debut. But you could see where the guy's in good shape. And the biggest thing to me was that he came down to Las Vegas and spent a large chunk of time in Las Vegas with some of the best guys in the world, clearly made some improvements. Now, the Alexa Kmore fight, it's a little bit deceiving. I thought he won. I thought he won a 29-28. I think most people agree, and the judges ended up agreeing with him. But uh, officially, he got outstruck 102-71. to 71. He, in fact, got outstruck in every single round. He got outstruck 39-29 to 29 in the first. He got outstruck 32-18 to 18 in the second. And he got outstruck 31-24 to 24 in the third. That fight was all body language because he ate everything Kmore hit him with and would come forward. Kmore looked cooked, man. He kept like wobbling side to side and gasping for air and the pressure was just too much. And this guy just kept coming after him time and time again. And Nega Mariano did an excellent job of tying him up, putting him up against the cage. Actually, he eventually got his takedown out of it, but just leaned on him and grind on him. And that's the kind of shit I want to see here against Ike Villanueva. 
because Ike's just not going to fight you for a prolonged period. Again, when you look at Ike, his last fight against Marcin Pragnia, 56 seconds into the second. Uh, Vinicius Moreri knocked him out 39 seconds into the second. Jordan Wright, first round finish. Chase Sherman, 49 seconds into the second. If he makes it to the second, it ain't, it's not even a minute into the second. But then before that, Rashad Coulter, first round. Roger Narvaez, first round. Juan Torres, first round. Patrick Miller, first round. Those are all first-round fights. That's where he does his best work. And again, when you look at Nick Negamarianu, Safarov put a beating on him. Kamor put a beating on him. Kid's chin's pretty good. His cardio checked out last time. His grind checked out last time. All he's got to do is survive this first round with Ike, and then he's going to put him in a real bad situation. And then last but not least, Ike's fight with Marcin Pracnow. It's a body kick finish for sure, but his leg, man, like he got his leg kicked a few times, and it, that was it. You know what I mean? Like, why would you not attack him? He's so heavy on his lead foot. He has such a fundamental boxing stance. It does not translate into MMA. He could catch you. Yeah, all right, sure, could catch you. But boxing don't work, man. Someone who's light on their feet, lands some light kicks, pushes you back, puts a grind on you. Everything that Negamarianu does is going to be effective at Ike Villanueva. The one issue, of course, and you mentioned it, the price tag. Nick Negamariano is not good. You know? <laughs> oh, Alexa Kamor. Alexa Kamor is not good either, right? So we're operating at a very low level. But what we're picking is we're picking the D fighter over the, what would you say, the E fighter? We're taking the C fighter over the, the D. W That's fighter for worst in the UFC. Yeah. Now that yeah. Vince is gone, it's, it's got to be stuff. Ike in this division. Like, who else, who else would it be? I mean, Nick yeah. inside the distance is still plus money in a couple spots. He's got some he's got some subs on his resume so like I'm not sure about submission versus TKO but I pretty much can't go pretty much can't go 3 full rounds. We haven't really seen that from him. If you're going to bet Nugumareno maybe it maybe hit the that IT or Nick inside the distance. I see plus 110 out on the uh, out in the uh, out in the streets there. Maybe that's how you attack this. Yeah, my my huge worry all weekend will be I'll, he'll be like a second ticket guy, <laughs> you know, and, I, and then I'm gonna have to realize the fact as the fight's about to start that I've got a bunch invested on Nick Negamarianu. But was, again, uh, yeah, it's all about levels, and this is he's seems to be operating at a slightly higher level. That's what I'm going with here. Yeah, I mean, in all of his like early can fight because he was fighting absolute slubs. Before the Safarov fight, like nobody had, pretty much nobody Moel. had. Click on Hatif Moel. What's that? Check that guy. Check out. There's a guy on his record, Hatif Moel. He's a German heavyweight. Click that guy. You'd be like, oh, this guy's all right. Three and two. And he would have okay. fought him. He would have been like, he would have been like 23 yeah, years old. That guy old was only three and two him. at the time when they took on each other. But he's obviously, yeah, he's turned into something since. So yeah, yeah that's actually not washed too, up that's not too guys, bad. But he smashes them. I'm gonna yeah. hit some Nick inside yeah. the distance because I believe. In fading, uh, in fading Ike Villanueva. I feel it in my heart. All right, moving on down. We got Gregory Rodriguez taking on Jun Young Park. Minus 110. It's a straight pick em. Uh, A couple weeks ago when we were talking about Tafan and Jukwi, it was John Young Park that I was thinking of who had the body lock, was able to get the takedowns. Um, I, this fight was open with Park being a little bit of a bigger favorite. Gregory Rodriguez is massive, massive. Hits really, really hard. Um, and the, the action seems to be coming in on, on Rodriguez as a dog. And I can't completely fault people, but the Iron Turtle is like, we were talking about mutant level durability before. This guy doesn't get knocked out. The durability is there. The cardio is there. He's going to be... 
taking some shots early on in this fight. So maybe it's just better to wait until, you know, after the first four minutes or wait until the end of round one if you want to get in on the Iron Turtle. But I'm not buying into Rod- Rodriguez is an absolute specimen at uh, at middleweight. The guy's jacked. I don't understand how he makes the weight class. He's what, six foot three, and like he's got a muscular, muscular build. That weight cut must be horrible for him. And the and the cardio has held or did held hold up uh last time out for him as well. So I thought he looked great against Dusko Todorovic, to be perfectly honest, but I'm leaning towards the Iron Turtle here. What do you got? Yeah, honestly, I'm not 100% sure like my mind's made up. I could see myself flipping on this one the closer it goes, but I think I'm going with Gregory Rodriguez to be 100% with you. Jung Young Park, his last couple of fights, as impressive as he's looked, they've looked good because he's getting takedowns. He took down Tafan Njikui. He took down John Phillips. He's not going to take down Gregory Rodriguez. No. I mean, Rodriguez's takedown defense is solid. Uh, he's just a jack specimen, like you're saying. You know, he's a very, very strong guy. His striking seems to be improving. You definitely saw some improvements his last time out. But he's a BJJ black belt, like a world champion BJJ black belt. Guy's got some solid grappling all around. And so that's what makes me worry is that when you look at Jung Young Park, his first fight in the UFC against Anthony Hernandez, he gave up six takedowns and then got subbed by an anaconda choke. But Marcel Berrio, well, he's not a wrestler. In fact, he's got no, doesn't really want to take you down. He wants to grind you up and have a brawl. John Phillips is as one-dimensional as a boxer could get. And or by the way, wrestler. who goes 15 full minutes of John Phillips? Fair. Who? Who goes 15 minutes of John Phillips? And then Tafan Njikui, well, again, he just used a very wrestling-heavy attack. And in fact, he actually gave up a takedown to Tafan Njikui as well. So my worry here is, is Rodriguez goes out and gets the takedown. He's going to be large and in charge. His top game's good. His submissions are good. And I don't know that Jung Young Park's got a great get-up game. I don't know that he's got a great game off his back. As far as the stays standing goes he's got a good jab but with rodriguez we saw him get clipped by jordan williams on contender series so i'd like to see a guy with a little more power jung young park doesn't scream a whole lot of power in fact he hit john phillips like 300 times and only 49 of them were considered significant because he's just not a big power guy he's more of a grind on you so rodriguez could have success in the stand-up department he's gonna have a lot of success on the ground so the last thing comes down to cardio that much muscle surely you can't keep this pace going but geez the fight against dusko he didn't look half bad you know what i mean no. he, the one question i i'm i'm, I'm gonna bet him here but but this is the one thing that could screw me there's no way this guy's only 29 years old you know, i'm 30 years old there's no way this guy's only 29 he looks like a 35 year old man and if he is i could have some problems here but if he's legit 29 he's only going to be making improvements here dude and and he could definitely have the goods to go out there and spring. It's not an upset, is it? No, oh, it's minus one tennis. It's a pick. Ever so reluctantly, right now, I'm going to take Gregory Rodriguez. Probably the over two and a half turtles, pretty durable. But well, actually, I don't even know if I want the over. Well, two if you're half. thinking honestly, the submission, Fernandez like that, that's locked how you up do. that into slick, and Rodriguez could most definitely do the same thing. I will yeah. take Rodriguez, but I gotta, I want to dive in deeper onto that one for sure. All right, Mason Jones takes on promotional newcomer David Onama. Mason Jones, a minus. 500 favorite. I mean, this line more or less just opened up today. Minus 500 for Mason Jones, plus 400 for Onama. I watched a couple quick fights from Onama, and honestly, he doesn't look too bad. I think uh, this line, I'm, you know, coming in short notice. Mason Jones, we we very much respect him. You know, Cage Warriors, Cage Warriors champion, 
uh, really, really good prospect from out east or from uh, out in England. I don't know why I said out east. Um, but Onama, yeah, doesn't look too like from my quick little bit of tape study on him. Like, I don't think he looks like a complete fish. So when you see the price tag of minus 500 on Mason Jones, it makes me a little bit nervous. Um, Mason Jones has shown that he's got great durability um pace cardio tenacity the type of guy who's going to fight for your money onama steps in for patrick who who went running because let's face it alan patrick did not want any more of that smoke we all know how that fight was going to end with them they didn't have to book the rematch um so uh, best you know that when alan patrick comes back like he is getting an absolute murderer um, in his next fight into the UFC, and they'll probably be looking to cut him because uh, Mason Jones was well on his way to finishing that fight, and uh, running it back seemed kind of silly anyway. Like, I didn't need to see it again. Um, Onama, I think, is pretty good, but it's a tough, really, really tough debut coming into the UFC and taking on a uh, touted prospect in Mason Jones. So, I mean, if I had to bet, because you know me and I like my underdogs, I guess I would bet David Onama here, but, like, I'm just going to pass. What about you? Yeah, that's fair enough. I got to go with Mason Jones. He's another one of these guys that I would consider my boy, and it happened to Mason Jones once upon a time, too. He made his UFC debut against Mike Davis. That's what you would consider not an easy UFC debut. And, dude, that's a high-level fight. I mean, this kid's making his debut as the Cage Warriors champion. He shows good wins on the English regional scene over Alexei Matnovic. Uh, Joe McLaughlin's okay, but Adam Proctor is a 12-0 prospect. 12-1 prospect, sorry. This guy's got the goods. I mean, he's another one of these Welsh-type fighters. They've got excellent chins. They've got good grappling. Comes from a bit of a judo base. Striking, very solid. Pushes a good pace. And when you got a great chin, you got great output, you got great cardio, and you're a young fighter, you're going to be a problem. He's still only 26 years old. And you saw the Mike Davis fight. He already has an advanced skill set. That fight with Alan Patrick, he dominated him, pillar to post, and ends up with an accidental no contest because of an eye poke. So listen, it happens. He was the one that poked his opponent. Could could his opponent, Alan Patrick, have continued? Most definitely. But he knew he was getting dominated. Now Alan Patrick's a veteran. He's not particularly good, but he was getting dominated in there by the young buck. And I just... Same thing. I think Mason Jones making these improvements. David Onama, meanwhile, he's only 27 years old, and he's looked very good. As an amateur, he was undefeated 10-0. Shows some decent wins. He actually beat Garrett Armfield as an amateur, who is a Stanford MMA prospect. And then as a professional, it's much of the same. I mean, he's 8-0. The difference is, is that he finishes these guys very early. First mm-hmm. round, first round, first round. 11-13 and 13 opponent, three minutes into the first round. 2-0 opponent, first round. 8-4 and four opponent, third round. Mike Plazola, 16-11. and 11. First round, knee injury, 44 seconds. And then Brad Robinson, his last time out, first round. So Mason Jones can take a hell of a punch. We've already seen it. Mike Davis hit him with some nasty shots. This kid can take a shot. And he can fight a good, strong 15 minutes. Those are things we know about him. His striking's good, although, you know, work in progress. His ground game's good. Uh, he's he's making improvement. That, that's all stuff we know about him. David Onama, meanwhile, I know what you're saying. He actually does look like he's a very athletic fighter. He's got excellent movement. He's out of glory MMA and fitness, James Krause's team. You know that these guys are always ready on standby. They're always upset specialists, and that's all good stuff. But why was he not booked for a contender series fight? We're, we're late in the season. This guy never got considered for a contender series fight. But he's willing to jump up, right? James Krause has got other fighters on the card. Uh, El Jefe is on the card. And who did we talk about earlier? 
I think there's like two or three of these Gloria MMA Fitness guys. Uh, I believe Rick Glenn's at Gloria MMA. Or sorry, Grant Dawson. My bad. Yeah, Grant Dawson. Totally had the opposite. Grant Dawson's there. Um, David Onama's there. Jeff and Molina. when we get lower, Jeff Jeff Molina's there. So he's got multiple guys on the card. It makes sense that this kid was coming down to help corner, and he's got a fight on his hands. A tough fight on his hands. Yeah, my I can't only go against it. I gotta go. I mean, with they opened this one the line off, sure, but people like to steam stuff, and I agree with the line movement. They opened the no, no, the line movement. I think you're reading that Coming all wrong. Again? It opened yeah. at minus seven hundred, and people are taking the dog shot, and I can't fault them whatsoever because there was like plus five hundreds, plus five fifties on Onama. He doesn't look horrible. It's just a tough, tough spot. You're taking on a very, very good credentialed European prospect. Um, but you know, minus five hundred is eighty three percent win probability. Like that's pretty much a, a quote unquote lock in the game. And I feel Can like I Onama Onama is pretty good. I think he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying be. that he's yeah. necessarily going to win, but I, I don't love. I, I, like my question for you is: Is Mason Jones going to be a top ticket? No, no. I See, think there you go. That's that's second. my answer, really. Yeah, yeah. I think he ends up on the second line along with, you know what? The way it's going to end up being is we're going to want to hedge out opportunity in the main event. So Vittori probably ends up on the top ticket just by virtue of setting us up a, a hedge out. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be on there with Suo Choi, right? And then that second line is going to have Grant Dawson on it. And it's going to have Mason Jones. Ah, you know what? I want Nick Nick Mariano maybe on that second line. So you might even be able to get a Jones on a third ticket if you're not comfortable yeah. with them. If you are comfortable with them, put them higher up. But that narrative of, oh, the line, he's just too big. He's just too big. So you bet a guy just because he's too big. I disagree with that big time. Because again, I'm sure you watched Contender Series last night. We'll just use as an example. That Baralo, he wins a 10 out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. He wins 98 out of 100 times. Sure. The only way he loses is if Anderson Weidman's himself and snaps his own leg. Only way it happens. Which, Otherwise, he kills him wherever he wants. Which, the dude moved up a weight you class. Get up to minus, when you get up to minus, what, he was like minus 1,100 by the time fight went off. That's 91%. Minus 1,000. Minus so 1,000. You start, Open up at 450. You start getting like 95%. I got the probability calculator. So 95. So say if they fought 20 times, maybe one out of those 20, so minus 1,900 would be like banana peel. You know, somebody it's Kate. We're getting into Kayla Harrison prices where it's just like, if she like tears her ACL, she she tears her. No, I know. But like Terry tears her own ACL going for a takedown and can't get up. You know what I mean? Like those are the types of things that you're trying to avoid when the prices get way too much. I know what you're saying from that perspective, but sometimes when the the lines get so aggressive, it's like. What's what's like a minus eleven hundred really adding to a parlay? You know what I mean? A minus eleven hundred? Well, yeah. it depends how big the parlay is. If it's a two fight parlay, almost nothing. If it's a one, if it's if it's two guys on a one ticket, one of them's eleven hundred. Yeah, almost nothing at all. You know, if it's a four five fight ticket, yeah, it's adding some value. If it's a ten fight ticket, and that's what we do with Bellator. Right? A lot of these guys are five six to one favorites. Hey, I told you that last card. We beat the line movement on those six fights, and we did. So you want to get it on as early as you can. But even if you missed it completely. And you put all of them, and they're all eight to one favorites come fight time. Jaylon Bates, holy shit, he was like a 14 to one favorite come fight time. Uh, you know, if you put six of them on the same ticket, you're going to end up getting close to even money. And get to close to even money is what we look at. My thing is that the narrative yesterday's fight for, with Baralo is on his opponent. People are like, well, I'm just betting him because he's that big of an underdog. It's like, well, did yeah. you look at no, him? That's crazy. Do you like him? 
Yeah. At least in this is a situation you did look at David Onama. Mm -hmm. He's from a good camp. He's got two fighters that are on the card already. You know he's in good shape. You know that uh, he's got all these things. He, he, he seems to be an athletic fighter, undefeated as an amateur and defeated as a pro. Mm -hmm. Big stopping power. So Puncher's Chance is live with this guy, where it's not live with a guy like Bruce Leroy. At least he has that extra element. Yep. Dude, I completely agree. Just Mason Jones is one of these guys that I would consider my boy, and I got to roll with my boy. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I totally, I mean... If in a vacuum, if it was a freaking straight pick them, of course I'm picking Mason Jones. The line, this line keeps moving though. So it's like when I look at other, well, no, it was plus 424 or minus 425 at one place and then it moved to 450. So we're probably going to end up in the 450 to 500 range by the time we go off on fight night. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's actually a, it's a much better fight, I think, than Alan Patrick versus uh, Mason Jones. But tough spot for David Onama coming in on short notice against a credentialed prospect like this. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code DOP this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on down. We got Tab uh, Tabitha Ricci taking on Maria Oliveira. Tabitha Ricci is a minus 250 favorite. Oliveira can be had for plus 200. Here's the issue that I've got with this fight. Tabitha Ricci training with Mackenzie Dern, Sabina Mazzo, uh, the girl, Piera Rodriguez, who's on Contender Series on Tuesday night this past week or this week. All people who. Yeah, I, Vanessa Demopoulos. <laughs> I feel like haven't had the greatest performances. Like, Pierre Rodriguez won. I thought she looked good. Her opponent has actually lost to Maria Oliveira. Wasn't able to find the tape on that one. Really wanted to watch that. It was from 2017 um, when they fought, but I wasn't able to find the tape on that fight. Tabitha Ricci, my concern is I know that she's got, like, world-class jiu-jitsu, uh, jiu and I see lots of people lining up, adding her to parlays, getting really, really excited about it. But, like, you go through her own record and you look at some of the opponents. Like, that fight on LFA, um, I forget which one it was. But, yeah, it was, Honestly? like, I think it was the Grimes one. Like, she literally just, like, walks through this girl. Um, absolutely dominates her. Like, in no time, there's, like, no resistance whatsoever to the take like to getting the fight to the mat. 
Like, a lot of people will probably say, you know, Maria Oliveira, anytime she's taking on anybody good, Marina Rodriguez literally made this girl quit on Contender Series. Literally, like, no mas, didn't want any part of it. Uh, and then in Ryzen, I watched that fight as well against uh, Azakura, I believe. And yeah. she yeah. had no resistance whatsoever to the takedown. It was bad. But Asakura's wrestling, when I was watching it, I was just like, I'm not sure Tabitha Ricci's got that level of wrestling. I thought Asakura had really nice entries to those takedowns, made it look easy, was able to control. Um, really, a roundabout way of all of this is I, I'm under the impression that both of these girls aren't very high level. Oliveira's got reach reach advantages up the up the yin yang. If Richie's not able to get this fight to the mat, I think it's going to be a lot more competitive on the feet. Uh, Oliveira is a little bit herky jerky, stiff and upright, but she has massive reach advantage in this spot. Probably uh, giving up a little bit of power, I would imagine. But if she's able to keep this at range. She probably wins this fight. And Ricci training with the likes of Dern and Mazo, like none of those, none of them have looked great recently. So I'm I'm out on Tabitha Ricci. I don't know if this is the spot to fade her. This seems like a, a nice little cupcake matchup for her to get on the winning track. But until I see something from the wrestling game, I'm not feeling great about that minus 250. What's your take here? Obviously, don't feel good about the minus 250, but yeah, I can see the UFC trying to get her a victory. And I do completely agree. If it ends up being a striking battle, well, why would I want Tabitha reaching a striking battle? And especially, she's five foot one, Paul. Five mm-hmm. foot one, you know? I mean, even against an opponent suited to her size, like this opponent's five foot five, right? It's like they're still way bigger. Her problem against um, Mano Fioro is that she's five foot one, Paul, trying to take on a girl that's five seven, fights at a buck 25. And is a problem. I mean, Mano Fierro, the fact that she can pass a drug test, this girl is physically strong, in excellent shape, striking for days, um, especially at that, you know, that division. And she's good output. That she's a good fighter. Losing her, not a problem. It's that she took the fight on pretty short notice, mm-hmm. moved up to 125 pounds to make it happen, and unfortunately got not just a big 25 or like a good, a good, strong, big. 125 or so I, I'm kind of inclined to give her a bit of pass there. I know what you're saying though. Vanessa Demopoulos can't wrestle for shit, but she's got really good grappling. And Mackenzie Dern can't not wrestle for shit, but she's got excellent wrestling. What I saw yesterday from uh, Rodriguez, she was one of my top ticket plays. Woo, she cannot wrestle for shit. Actually, it worked out in the third round and she needed it in the third round. If she stole but, but that fight in the called? last 20, 30 seconds, really yeah trust me i know <laughs> i actually i think she stole it in the last two minutes i thought she did better work the last two minutes but up until then it was up in the air uh so i get your angle what you're saying is that oh man a lot of these girls are not achieving a ton of success and this and that but how many girls can say i'm in a room with three other ufc fighters how many girls can say i'm in a room with 10 other girls and that's one of the great things that they have over there is that they have a women's MMA. same thing as sabina mazzo she can't wrestle for shit either right is at least you've got all these bodies to work with. At least she's, you know, going to be properly trained. Maria Oliveira, my key issue here, not saying she's not out of a good gym, she is, 
is that you mentioned the Ken Asakura fight, right? Where the takedowns came easy, right? But that fight is part of the Adam Weight Grand Prix for Rosa, mm-hmm. right? Where they all weigh in at 108 pounds. She's not particularly all that big. So after she wins her first round fight against Elise Garcia, who, by the way, Elise Garcia is, I want to say four foot 11. No, she's actually five foot one, but she's a natural 105 pound fighter. Has fought pretty much her entire career at 105. She loses to Asakura. Then right away, UFC says, hey, you know what? We'll give you a shot against Marina Rodriguez, to which blown out of the wall. Right, tough matchup, first though. Like she's taking on... So tough, so In tough. hindsight being 2020, it's like, wow, you're taking on a top five fighter in this You're division. right, you're right. And then she takes one full year off before returning to beat an 0-1 opponent. No, I and know. then she takes All of her wins are against two complete years. She takes almost two years to come back and defeat an 0-0 opponent. So she actually hasn't fought an opponent with a single victory since Marina Rodriguez, who blew her out of the water. And then the fight before that, she was easily handled by another actually good prospect in Asakura. She's a good fight. Uh, so my thing here is Richie does need the takedown, 100%. But this seems like the type of matchup where she's taking on a former Adam weight. She should be able to lean on her. She does have a judo black belt as well. And all she needs to get is a trip. She tried to take down Minofiro, right? Mm-hmm. She just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, she was screwed. She needs to go on there. And then the other problem is against Ferro, short camp. She was short notice. Here, full camp, your appropriate weight class against a smaller fighter who's got bad takedown defense. Gotta make it happen for smaller yourself. Smaller fighter, maybe you might a as stretch. Well I know that she got she's into 108, girl, but maybe maybe Ricci, maybe Ricci could make 108 too because she's very small. It could be, but she hasn't. She's fought her entire career at one. And here's the thing and about actually took a fight at one twenty five because people I mean, are going to talk about 25. strength of schedule because like Maria Oliveira, she's only beat absolute cans. Like, well, frankly, Tabitha Ricci's so only beaten cool. absolute cans. Yeah, yeah, fair. But she trains with world class opposition. On I mean, Carol Rosa and, and Maria Oliveira train together. Piranha Valley Tudo. Yeah, and it's Jessica Andrade's old camp. <laughs> they uh, they know how to get a fighter ready. Let so, me tell you. But I know, uh, again, maybe maybe you want to pass on this one. Maybe you want maybe this is your <laughs> what yeah. big favorite is going to shit in the apple pie. Well, Paul, you're giving me plenty of reasons to I think. I feel like Ricci doesn't the, get the takedown. The, she's going to struggle with the stand up. You're right. Path of victory for Marie Oliver. She's at the front of the uh, at the front of the line for uh, at potential apple pie shitters uh, uh, this week. Uh, there's not enough to know about Maria Oliveira, and I, I can't bet her because I saw her quit again. Like, I don't want to bet on anybody who I just see go, like, no, no. Like, standing up, no, no, I can't take any more. It's not really what I want to be putting attaching money to, but something gonna fight something seems some, gonna something fight seems off to, to me on this one. And if she didn't have any heart, Paul, keep in mind she says no, no. And then over the last four years has fought Two Owen, an Owen opponent and an Owen one opponent in the last four years since saying no, no, that doesn't scream heart of a fighter. Tabitha Ricci took a fight on short notice, she's undefeated. She has why you don't need to do this. LFA is going to promote you, UFC will give you a fight down the road, contender series will give you a full camp at least. There's no reason to take a fight on short notice up a weight class against an absolute what would you call her? Not a stud, a studette, you know, just an absolute world class operator is what Mm -hmm. I should say. Man. It was incredibly well, that, tough. I didn't even. That's, that's fighter stuff. That's hard to. I don't dock anything from Ricci for taking the Fioro fight because, like, what do you huh. think? What do you think Manon Fioro would do to Maria Oliveira? My word. Right, right. My max bet. Word. Let's max bet it. Max bet whatever the price is. My mine is nineteen hundred. Right. We're literally get like we're Kayla Harrison prices basically. So. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, it all kind of makes sense. I'm just a little bit worried. Like, if she can't get it to the mat, what does this fight look like? You know, Ricci will be throwing bombs, but 
you know, maybe she's whiffing at air because she's given up such amount, like, like six, seven inches of reach. All right, Larry Anosteropoli takes on Jamie Pickett. This fight was supposed to take uh, take place like about a month ago. Um, Pickett, COVID protocols, they rebooked it. Here we are again. Anything changed from your perspective? I believe you liked Lariano. Yeah, I got Lariano Steropoli. And this is just another case of do you want to pay Biden's 250 for Leonardo Steropoli? He's not exactly a world class operator. He doesn't have a whole lot of intangibles to his games. Wrestling's not particularly good. His striking offense. Uh, I like his output. I like his output. I like his, uh, you know, his willingness to mix it up. But it's not clean technique. It, he's not a big power guy as well. His wins in the UFC: Hector Aldana, formerly the worst guy in the division. Thiago Alves was at the tail end of his run and wasn't a great win. And then three straight losses, right? Muslim Salikov, Tim Means, and Roman Deletes. The reason I give him a pass there is Muslim Salikov is a problem for a lot of people. I mean, he's. Worked a lot. He's actually worked a lot in Dagestan on his own takedown defense and his own grappling. But of course, he's got that kung fu base and just very unorthodox power striking. He's a problem. Tim Means is one of the craftiest veterans in the game. He's a problem. And Roman deletes. I mean, Steropoli moved up from 170 to 185 for that fight, and he like didn't do terrible. Well, I mean, he did do terrible. What am I saying? He did fairly terrible. But he's fighting a much larger guy who's a grappler, and he had moments. He had spots. And that's where it goes back to, he's like Charles Oliveira's chief tra- training partner. And if you're in a room with Chucky O on the day-to-day, yeah, you're going to make a lot of improvements. You're going to get a lot better. Steropoli's one of these guys, he's not most the most technical guy going, but he's going to go out there and he'll likely make it a fight. His issue is he's given up takedowns in his last four. Three against Salikov, two against Means, five against Dolitz, and even got taken down by Thiago Alves once upon a time but with jamie pickett i don't really see the threat of the takedown being there and so now you've got jamie pickett in a striking battle and it hasn't looked good for him so far i mean the jordan wright fight he got outstruck 26 to 4 knocked out a minute in he got hit 26 times significantly and knocked down in a minute and four seconds that's pretty crazy man he never got going though but the tavon and jacquee fight he got outstruck 120 to 40 and in is slow he put just tremendous pace on him and just moved him back the whole time. He seems to move back a lot. Pressure guys will move forward. He'll take the one step back. His issue is that he's not a counterpuncher. He doesn't strike well off of his back foot, and yet he spends so much time going backwards. I thought he had a solid chin because he had never been knocked out in his career, and then Jordan Wright knocked him out in 64 seconds. So now the theory of can't knock the guy out is off the table. The theory of this guy's a good striker is off the table. He's not a wrestler by nature. So how does he beat Staropoli? Well, does he just suddenly become a wrestler? Steropoli will get back up. Look at Roman deletes, dude. You want to grapple with that guy? You want to you want to roll around on the mat with that guy? Nah, absolutely not. But the kid was able to survive. It was. Uh, I think worst case is that he gives up a takedown in the first round. Beyond that, it's going to be Pickett moving backwards, Steropoli moving forwards as he generally does, and just winning the numbers battle, winning the numbers battle. Judges should agree at the end of, uh, I think it goes 15, even mm-hmm. though we just saw Pickett get knocked out. But at the end of the 15, I would think 29-20, it's our worst case scenario. Steropoli on volume, on you know forward motion. I know, I know people don't like to say, they don't score forward movement. Well, they're human beings. The robot might not. But the human being sitting cage side, he sees the guy advancing. He sees the guy going for it. He sees the guy that's trying to mix it up a little bit. There's a lot of bad decisions in the game. But they, they, do, they do recognize that at the end of the day. And Steropoli has the type of style that I think he'll be the one going forward. Pickett's got the type of style where he doesn't fight particularly well off his back foot. I got to go with Steropoli. But as a minus 250 price tag, he's probably, you know, fourth ticket down, fifth mm-hmm. ticket down. Like he's, he's, he's the type of big favorite that you would think should be higher up. But he's the type of guy that's pretty low level so far on a three-fight losing streak. 
Both of his wins are no longer with the promotion anymore. He is ripe for uh, for an apple pie shitter as a favorite as well. Yeah, that makes all that makes all the sense in the world. And Pickett's best thing what used to be his durability, but that's kind of yeah, I know. That's I, know. I think when we talked about it before, I think I was leaning towards Pickett. He's got he's given or he's got some uh, advantages in reach and stuff like that. But now we've got actually a fourteen fight offering. Another another uh, late late notice replacement has come in for the Martinez fight, which we'll talk about at the end of it when we get through these next three. Um, he's taking on. Uh, Lazish Valley, whatever I forget, LFA guy. Valley. Yeah, yeah, twelve and zero. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end. But uh, for now, Georgian. That's all. You, that's all you need to know. Yeah, tough as nails for sure. All right, for now yeah. we'll talk about. Uh, I think a fight that's like under the radar sleeper, like violence weight fight of the night for sure. Jai Herbert taking on Kama Worthy minus one eighty Herbert. Plus 155 worthy. This is probably one of those fights when you're making DraftKings lineups this week. It's like, you're going to need the winner of this one because someone's taking a canvas nap. One of the few fights on the card with a uh, under one and a half set line. So it's like, it's that and the Ike Villanueva fight are the two fights (laughs) that actually have one and a half rounds as, as the set. Um, Jai Herbert's got some advantages in terms of uh, reach. I think he's got a three-inch reach advantage. Um, comma worthy, not very durable. Jai Herbert, questionable chin as well. But I think the line is about right here. I think Jai Herbert probably wins on volume, has better cardio, I think, from what we have seen, and has a bit of a reach advantage. So I will lean towards him here, but I expect this to be a full out firecracker. A very, very what they would say high variance fight. Like one of these guys is gonna land, one of these guys is gonna land big. Somebody's taking a canvas nap. I think it's Kama Worthy, 35 years old, who's gonna take the ca- uh, the canvas nap in this spot. But uh I if Herbert gets knocked out on Saturday night, I am not gonna be shocked. What about you? Yeah, dude, I love betting over one and a half. That's my game. And sometimes it's greasy heavyweight fights and it's, oh, no way this thing goes one and a half and I'll still bet the one and a half. And this is one of those spots where it's like under one and a half. I mean, someone, you you basically described it as good as you could. You know, someone's getting slapped. Someone's getting finished. And yeah, I'm going to agree. I think it's going to go the other way as well and that uh, Kama Worthy is likely the one falling over. Jay Herbert, first and foremost, he's got a 77-inch reach. Pretty crazy. I mean, he's got a super long frame to him. He's got good quick hands. His fight with Francisco Trinaldo, he started off well, actually dropped Francisco Trinaldo. Unfortunately, Trinaldo's got a way of not getting knocked out. And when he doesn't get knocked out, he works his way back into these fights. And then the Hanato Moicano fight, very evidently clear that he doesn't have the best grappling. But against Kama Worthy, likely not going to have to worry about the grappling whatsoever. So get your hands going. Use that reach. Establish a jab. And as soon as he finds his rhythm, as soon as he finds that distance... I expect a straight right down the pipe, probably to knock out Kama Worthy. I've been watching Kama Worthy for a long time now, and one thing has always stood true with him. He can't take a punch. His, he loses his first time against Paul Felder. Hey, it's Paul Felder. No big deal. This is, this is 11 years. Sorry, it wasn't nine years ago. But he got knocked out a minute and 10. After that, he lost to Billy Q. He got knocked out 10 seconds into the second round. They lost to Mass, Matt Bassett. They're the USC veterans, of course, um, but knocked out in the second round. Anthony Redditch and Anthony Redditch had like a six and five record, knocked him out a minute and six seconds into the first round. Kyle Nelson, our boy Kyle Nelson, local Ontario guy, made to the UFC again, knocks him out a minute three 
in the very first round. And then his last two fights, Otman Azetar knocked him out a minute 33 into the first round, and Jamie Malarkey, 46 seconds. Some guys can't take a punch. Some guys cannot take a punch. Kama Worthy falls into the latter category. It's not like he's lasting into the second round and getting TKO'd. He's getting knocked out a minute in. What does that tell you? That tells you the very first punch that lands has the capability of knocking him out. You don't get to put a pace on him. You don't get to throw 100 punches. You just got to land one, and he just doesn't have the resistance for it. You also made mention he's 35 years old at this point. He shows seven knockout losses and eight career defeats. He's been finished in all eight because, I mean, the other one was a submission loss a long time ago. It doesn't matter. He can't get into these firefights anymore. And I, I bet you he's going to try to take Jay Herbert down. I bet you he's not going to want to stand. I know he's got power. I know he's got fast hands. He's got decent timing. But he stands upright and he can't take a punch. What he does have is a low key. I'm pretty sure he's a BJJ black belt. He's got that win over um, over Luis Pena. You saw his grappling in that fight in particular in that third round. Where he ends up getting a guillotine choke out of it. And you see him talk about, oh, yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time grappling. He's going to look to grapple Jay Herbert. But when it doesn't materialize or when it doesn't go his way or when he doesn't finish Herbert on the ground in the first round, Herbert at some point is going to chin check him and likely knock him out. So I got to go with Jay Herbert. I think he's a talented enough guy. He looked awesome in cage warriors where he was the welterweight champion. And then he came to the UFC and has not looked good. The two guys he's fought happen to be pretty good fighters. Francisco Trinaldo and Hanato Mekano. You know, we're going to give him a pass there. Common worthy. Meanwhile, he's losing to good guys too. Jamie Malarkey stud. Otman Azitar, stud. Those are good guys. You know, who's going to land the punch first? Probably the guy with the five-inch reach advantage, Paul. So I got to go with, uh, once again, Jay Herbert to hopefully finish him. And regardless, probably doesn't go one and a half. Depending on who wins, someone's getting knocked out. Would there be any any concern about, like, Herbert, like, grappling here? Because, like, grappling, cause there's actually better, there's, down? there's better prices on Herbert by KO slash TKO. I see plus monies on those, but the unders under one and a half is already like minus one twenty five in some spots, minus one ten. Um, yeah, I, I I think you go for the knockout over the submission because again, the thing with Kama Worthy is his submission defense. I'm not talking. Yeah, he I spent wasn't... the entire second round with Luis Pena on his back, never got submitted. But when you can't take a punch, those short little ground and pound strikes are going to discombobulate yeah. and cover, cause him to cover up. And in, in yeah, yeah regard, I wasn't asking yeah. about a sub prop, but I'm like, Herbert's probably not a submission threat, is he? No, well, like a club and a, a club. No, but like, does that even have any chance of hitting? Is would be my question. Like a club and sub type. Does he even fish for submissions? Yeah, well, I mean, it happens all the time where you, you hit the guy and all of a sudden they just grab onto a submission. Does that mean you're a submission guy? No, but if the opportunity presents itself, you take it. But what I'm saying is the TKO prop would be the way to go. Yeah, he's just, yeah, he's never, he's never actually got us. Or does he have any submission wins to his name? Rear naked choke back in Bama. So not really. Not really. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And again, Cobble Worthy's got good submission defense. Like, if you're going to put him away, you're, there's a reason why he's got seven knockout losses. Guys aren't looking to submit them. Guys yeah. are looking to just hit him in the head a few times. The times he wins, he knocks you out before you ever even have a chance. I mean, again, look at his victories, right? Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith and him are friends. So the fight stars, Devontae Smith's kind of like, ah. and the Cobble Worthy's like, I don't like it that much. He lands the first punch. Boom. He puts him over. This one could go the same thing. Whoever lands first. I just feel like Jay Herbert's a lot better than what he's shown us. And Common Worthy was actually overachieving by winning those first two fights. I didn't think he'd ever get signed to the UFC, let alone win two fights and collect some KO to the night bonuses. But he's got exposed. 
bad in his last two, and I think this is going to be a continuation of that. If he gets knocked out again here, he's, he's getting released from the promotion. Jay Herbert could also get released, I suppose, on a loss, but he's again, I believe he's better than what he's shown us is all. All right. Jeff Molina takes on Daniel Lacerda. Minus 165 Molina, plus 145 Lacerda. Lacerda doesn't look too bad. I think he's trained with uh, with Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Um, he's got a opportunistic, at least on the regional scene, some of the YouTube fights that I have seen from him. Opportunistic grappling game. Throws some serious heat on the feet. I don't know about his wrestling long-term. Jeff Molina taken down three times by... Iori, uh, Iori Kilang and twice by Jacob Silva. So that is a bit of a path here. Um, he seems very, very durable. Don't get me wrong. He ate 116 shots against Iori Kilang and 83 against Jacob Silva. Comes away with the decisions. They were very, very close decisions. Obviously, he's got James Krause in his corner. Um, that should help in terms of strategy, getting ready for this matchup. I'm just like staring at this fight doesn't go to the decision and or the under two and a half rounds because I, I do see not just because of his topology account but just based on like the style of fighter we see from Lacerda he seems like a fit like a an absolute finisher he's going balls to the wall cowboy Oliveira type of style where it's like I don't really know what this kid's gonna look like when he gets extended he usually finishes guys on the Brazilian regional scene way too fast for us to know if he even has a gas tank uh on top of that like Molina landed a couple knockdowns against uh Aori Klang last time out the under in this fight is just staring at me fight doesn't go to the doesn't go to decision and under two and a half rounds I know it's a flyaway fight but this one should be very very high paced and I know Molina can can go at that pace for three rounds I'm not sure if Lacerda can so my money, I think, is better well-served in this fight not seeing 15 rounds. What about you? 15 rounds. No way. 15, 15 minutes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Old-timey boxing. Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, yeah, no, for sure. See, Daniel, what, what the move here is, is that we might like Molina. We want to take that shot of Molina. You're going to get a better price on Molina after that first round. Because mm-hmm. Lacerda actually does look to be a little bit better. Um, one thing with Molina is he moves a ton. He's got a ton of movement, right? And I think his lead leg is going to be getting chopped up by Lacerda, who's just got nasty kicks, man. This guy looks like whatever he throws is heavy. You mentioned it. He's got like that cowboy or cowboy Oliveira effect where he likes to throw heavy, likes to be a big power guy, as well as he's got a good submission game. Like if he ends up on top, he's going to be a, a problem using some of that top game, establish control, grind away some of the clock, and then use his submissions effectively against Jeff Molina. But yeah, yeah, it just goes back to what we know. And what we know is Jeff Molina can fight 15 minutes. What we don't know is that about Lacerda. His last three fights, his last, sorry, five, six, last six fights have all ended inside of the very first round. Mm-hmm. What does he look like? And he throws so much power behind the kicks. It seems like he throws a lot of power. He sits down a lot of his punches that I don't know that he's going to be able to continue that for two, three rounds. Against Molina, Molina will be moving on the outside, darting in and out. But Lacerda probably does give the better impression after the first five and gets the first round. Now you need to hope that this Lacerda guy's a fraud, starts to tire out, and that Molina can work his way back into it. But even if the second round, this guy, Lacerda's got enough gas for the second, Molina's still going to be live in the third. Like, if he's down two rounds, it still would be a decent live betting opportunity, depending on what the price is, is that you're getting a guy out of glory of main fitness. You know he's going to fight for it, right? His last fight against 
uh, Aori, my God, he got rocked. They all got rocked. It was a hell of a fight, but he just put a tremendous amount of pace. Everything he throws just goes for it, goes for it, goes for it. And when we were capping that fight, one thing about Jeff Malin, he's only 24, is that he had won the 2020 awards for like most improved and best teammate. Apparently, he's just in the gym all the time. Well, I remember he him. corners a lot of these fighters with James Krause. You'll see how Jeff is usually in the corner along with them. And he's just like one of the go-to guys, continuously making improvements. Again, still only 24. He just won his UFC debut. It was a crazy good fight. And he showed a lot of legitimate promise. The camp that he's at also has two more fighters on the card. And you can't tell me that working with guys like Grant Dawson every day is not going to be good against Lacerda trying to take you down. And all that power kicking game of his, like he's got bodies to work with. He'll put himself in a good spot. I just don't see him winning the first round. I could see him winning the fight. Don't see him winning the first round. And because he's the favorite pre-fight, I'd rather just wait until the first round and then bet him. As far as parlay goes and stuff, it will be Molina. But I got some respect for Lacerda. I think this could be a trap line in sorts. So Molina will be lower down. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm gonna attack the, the unders and the fight doesn't go to decision. Just what I see on Lacerda, it's just like I have my doubts of whether he can keep that pace. If, if I lose the bet, I lose the bet. But at plus money, uh, I think it's a pretty good spot. I see a lot of violence between the two of these guys. It should be a really, really fun fight. And finally, we've got Lavina Souza taking on, or not finally, because there's another fight that we'll talk about without a board. Um, but we got Lavina Souza taking on Ronda Marcos, minus 125 Souza. Plus 105, Marcos. They are disrespecting your girl, Lavina, here, I think, Cody. Don't you think? think so. Well, I mean, Lavina's definitely uh, caused me some heartache and some money. <laughs> so yeah, I don't it? know how exactly excited I am about no, the prospect she's not the of person, losing on here again. She's not the person that came over from, you know, that we were thinking potential, you know, title contender when she came over from uh, Invicta back in the I day. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so, dude. I had high account for her. You know, a lot of people, here's my one thing about, you know, Ronda. Obviously, Ronda's coming up. They had to basically give her another fight because of how that Luana Pinheiro fight ended. But I went back and watched that fight, and it's just like, Pinheiro was doing really, really well in that fight. I think Pinheiro's going to be disrespected because people think that she faked it. Um, the up kick on the ground. Her eyes were rolling around a bit. I don't know. I'm not... I'm not a doctor. I don't know if that was, you know, her fabricating it. All I know is she got kicked in the head. It was an illegal, illegal strike. They weren't, they would have cut Ronda Marcos after that fight. If that fight played out the rest of the way, like it was like Pinero was winning that fight pretty clearly before the illegal upkick on the ground. I I don't know, man. Ronda Marcos is going to have to like bully this fight around, hold it up against the cage, get the fight to the mat. I mean, and if we think about the judges and we're still at the apex this week, we think about how the judges were judging fights last week. Uh, Ramazan Amiv, he lost a fight because, you know, that style was not getting, um, you know, it was not getting, the judges were not taking favorably to it whatsoever. Do I think that, I mean, I, I cast a nine to one on uh, Danny Roberts after round two. I for him by decision. Uh, do I think that Roberts won the fight? No, not necessarily. Did I think nine to one with the state of judging in the UFC was way too wide? That a hundred percent. So I don't know if those types of ju- if that type of judging shows up in this fight, like it's not very favorable to Ronda Marcos whatsoever. I want. 
I want the blessing on Sousa before I throw any money here. I th- th- that's really where what it comes down to for me. Yeah, I just I don't know what the hell happened to her, but she's fraudulent in the UFC. In Invicta, she was the best. Wins over Kat Kampkopna, former champion. Deanna Bennett, former champion. Split decision loss to Angela Hill in a five round fight. Beats a Yakahamasaki. Like these are not just wins; these are as high as Invicta, as high as women's MMA. Those divisions. That's the creme de la creme. She makes her UFC debut against Alex Chambers as a minus thirteen fifty favorite and looked the part. Got a first round submission victory. Of course, it's Alex Chambers. You know what's up. And then it's been a massive letdown since, man. She won a split decision over Sarah Froda. She looked awful. She lost to uh, Brianna Van Buren. She was a favorite, slight favorite, but looked awful. The win over Ashley Yodder, she looked awful. And then that last fight against Amanda Lemos, the first punch that landed folded her. She gets back up, and it was just like she's shaking, staring at her. Doesn't try to get the fight to the ground. Doesn't try to switch up anything. Just... Deer in headlights, frozen up. She got outstruck 26 to one, 29 to one, and knocked down twice before the referee was like, I can't even watch this anymore and weighs it all. You watch that back, it's hard to watch. It's like, what is going on here? What happened to the girl in Invicta? She's not here anymore. So, again, I have lost money on her because I, I knew what I saw before, I knew the kind of progression she had judo black belt, BJJ black belt, big, strong body kick decent enough hands physically strong but it's like she's not a fighter she doesn't want to fight she's a good hammer she's just an awful nail ronda marcos meanwhile is pretty much never the hammer but as that turned out to be a pretty serviceable nail like she's fun only world-class competition while she only loses to world-class competition and again the luana pianero fight it's easy to say well why didn't luana just continue she was dominating her but it was only the first round Marcos wasn't going anywhere. Kanata Murata, you know, Jesus. Kanako Murata is a high-level Japanese wrestler, like high-level. And again, she got taken out four times in that spot, but went the distance with her. Mackenzie Dern, she's got the black belt. Amanda Rebus, you mean the same Amanda Rebus that absolutely walked right through Liviana Souza like a stroll in, in the park? Yeah, no, she went 15 minutes with her. She also beat Ashley Yotter. That's a win for both of them. The other losses, Claudia Gadelia, Marina Rodriguez, Nanda, Amanda Nunez, his wife Nina Nunez, uh, she's got a win over Angela Hill. All I'm doing is naming you in the top five of the division. Mm-hmm. All she does is fight the best girls and fights them. Whereas my one issue with Livia Susan, she seems ultra talented. And to be honest with you, I can see her getting takedown. She gets a takedown over Ronda, holds Ronda down. That's that's the path to victory. But Ronda's going to scramble and make her work and hit her a few times and grind her and tire her out. And she quits. She's a quitter. That's what she is. She's a quitter. And Marcos, meanwhile, knows her job's on the line. She's on a four-fight losing streak. She loses this. She's gone. There's no more opportunities. She's 30, She's 33, 34 years old now. This is what you would call the end. 36. She's 36 years old now. This is what you call the end of the line for Ronda Marcos. Four-fight losing streak, 36 years old. It's do or die. Mm-hmm. It's do or die. So why not leave it all? One of them's going to leave it all out in the cage and go for it. And one of them appears to be a quitter, as far as I can see. We'll see how it plays out, but take your blessing, take whatever you want to better, better do it. Go with your gut. My gut is this girl's burned me before. And even though I, she's got skills. Yeah. I've thought that before. And she's come out and looked absolutely abysmal. So what she does have going for her is Ronda Marcos is not likely going to knock her down. You know, she hasn't really got good hands, but the grind, the wrestling, the desire, 
it's enough to make me ever so slightly think that Ronda Marcos is live as an underdog. So it's a dog or pass situation. I'll take the underdog. All right. And finally, no odds for this last one. Zviad Lazishvili, the LFA bantamweight champion, taking on Jonathan Martinez. Jonathan Martinez was supposed to take on Aaron Phillips on this card. He was supposed to take on Marcelo Rojo, uh, but he had a botched weight cut leading up into that. That was back in September. Um, what can you tell me about Zviad? Zviad was supposed to take on Jack Shore. That fight fell through for, let's see here. Uh, oh, Laz- was just like, eh, this seems like a little bit too hard of a debut. Uh, he withdrew from that fight uh, back in September. So I don't know what the odds, there's no odds obviously for it, but uh, do you have a uh, any sort of information to throw it at, at us on this one? No, no, I really no, don't. To that's be fair. honest with you, there's no uh, price. It there's just, nothing. It's got, it got announced. It got announced really late. What I can tell you though is, so he, I, I just remember from the one fight he fought Ricky. This is just what I remember because it got announced either last night or today. But your good, your guess is good as me. I've not looked at it, but he fought Ricky Steele. Ricky Steele was undefeated. He was an Ultimate Fighter veteran, and it was for the LFA. I believe it was for the title. Yeah, it's for the vac- vacant bantamweight title. He's a plus 180 underdog. The only reason he's the underdog is he shows wins over Owen-O, 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 Owen-O. Nine straight Owen-O guys. Sorry, 10. 10 straight Owen-O guys. And then comes over to LFA where he went 0-2. Looked pretty good. Looks like he's got big power. He's one of these strong guys from Georgia. I forget who put the meme up the other day. But it was the five George, uh, Georgian fighters in the UFC, and they are rocking a nice looking record, man. Obviously, mm-hmm. Murad Dubashvili is their guy, but dude, they got great cardio. They're so strong. They're cast iron. They got a great mentality. They grind, 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 grind. UFC season win the LFA title. That's usually a free contract in the UFC, and he takes a fight with Jack Shore. This is scheduled a month ago, and he withdraws of the fight a month, eh, about two months ago. It was the beginning of uh, September. I don't know why he withdrew. I don't know what the hell's going on. Effectively, he hasn't fought in one year, but the fact that he just pulled out five weeks ago or six weeks ago from a fight is not exactly... But it could be anything. It could be a visa issue. It could have been a COVID-related, like a corner man. Like, you don't really know. It might not be an injury. And so now that he's taking this fight against Jonathan Martinez on short notice, might not be as short notice as you think. And with Jonathan Martinez, he's a pretty fighter. You know, he fights very pretty from the outside. He does not like getting roughed up. He doesn't like guys entering the pocket. He doesn't like guys backing him up. His last fight with Davey Grant, I thought he fought an excellent first round. Looked very smooth, very fluid, kicks for days. He's obviously a good, talented striker, speedy guy, good footwork. In the second round, he's tired. And he's largely tired because Davey Grant's just marching forward and causing him to use his wheels. Once he gets tired, Davey Grant ends up hitting him with a counter shot and knocking him out. His other fights that he's had some troubles with, Andre Ewell, he should have won that fight for sure. But... Andre Ewell was the guy moving forward the whole time, whereas Jonathan Martinez was backing up. The judges didn't like it. Andre Sukumadath outstruck him once upon a time. Not a great look. So with Zayad Lavasvili, like I know he's got a good ground game. I know he's a power wrestler, and he's 12-0. and 0. I don't know if he could take a punch. He fought 10 guys with an 0-0 record and then cruised through two guys for LFA. So if Martinez hits him with a fly knee up the gut, and we've seen him do that to guys before, hits him with that nice little counter right he has, he, he, he could pose us some problems. On the other hand, if you just want to take a blind shot on a narrative, 
this Georgian guy is going to pressure him, get in his face, grind on him. He's not on short notice. He had a scheduled fight six weeks ago in the UFC. He's going to be in shape. He trains with good guys. He's going to find a way to victory. Martinez should open as a slight favorite. The only reason I say that he's got legitimate experience in the UFC. He does show a win over Thomas Almeida two fights back. Mm-hmm. He did get robbed against uh, Andre Ewell. So you could make an argument that the kid's four and one in his last five fights. This is a harder They'll Harder also matchup. look at the 12 and 0 Georgian fighter and say, Hey, you know what? If this guy fights like his comrades, he's uh he's gonna put a pace on him and he'll be a live underdog. Oh, so 12, yeah, we don't know what the price is. 12, I can cap it for you because I don't know enough against Lavashvili, but I think I would cap it at like opener minus one thirty five, yeah, yeah. minus one forty five Martinez as an opener, maybe. 12 and 0 LFA champ, like I mean, this he's is a, a lot. He's a two and zero, really. Those other ten fights, what do those count for, right? Yeah, I know, but like, I mean, it's probably a harder fight than than yeah. taking on Aaron Phillips, where Mar- Martinez was supposed to be was a minus three fifty favorite. Like, they're not doing him any any favors uh, with this matchmaking. Oh, funny thing popped up on Twitter, MMA Junkie, Paulo Costa. I can't listen to it right now because we're. Obviously on the show, Paulo Costa currently 211 pounds says he won't make 186 for Saturday's main event. Maybe we can do a catch weight of 195. So that's such a dirty so move. No These guys are so way I, no way I am touching Paulo Costa. Um, yeah, but do you I know, even I want to touch Vittori now? That's a bad be, It may be mind games. It may be mind games completely. Dirty. But but what I'm saying is like, yeah, definitely definitely massive red flag. Um, all the way around. And yeah, that's super tough on Vittori, who's probably already down at like uh, 197 or probably somewhere in that range already, getting ready to get down to 185. So it is kind Paulo's of bullshit. Fraud. I that's mean, a fraud move. You I wouldn't be I'd surprised say, if I the would... fight gets canceled if if he can only get to 195 or 190 even. Like, Yeah, I would, I would go... Actually, that's not even a great deal. I was just going to say, I would go what Randy Brown says. And Randy Brown was like, well, they should move it to 50%, right? This is a 10 pound miss. If I'm Vittorio, I'd be like, I'll take the weight cut. Or I'll take the, I'll take, I, I'm not going to make 85. You make 95. You pay me 50%, but I'll, I'll either this fight's off. I don't need to fight. UFC will pay me my money or uh, give me half yours. But looking at it, uh, Paul Costa don't actually get paid shit. He got paid $60,000 as a base against Yoel. And then he would have got paid, you know, hundred grand against Israel if we get the title fight. But now he's probably dropping back down to be like, Probably makes $100,000, best case. So this is a headlining fight. You know, you could probably position yourself back into another title fight with Israel Adesanya within two or three more. You're Victoria Costa with a win. So this is high stakes. Is $50,000 for a 10-pound advantage even worth it? Like, no. It's actually not worth it at all. It's a dirty move. It's a dirty, greasy move. I'd say you got to cut down. And if he does cut down, well, then we're on Vittori all day. If this gets moved to a catch weight of 195, my only concern, Paulo Co- we're, we're banking on now, Paulo Costa gassing his, out after now two his duro, now, yeah. yeah, Now his yeah. gas tank holds up. Now he might not. Now he might. Ex- yeah, you're all over, Paul. You know what's up. So that that's the worry there if it ends up getting moved. I mean, if if this is the case, he said, and I, I see Jonah Shiffy, uh, J Shiffy DFS. I, I'm obviously not listening to what he put in quotations. I'll disclose the circumstances leading up to me being 25 uh, pounds overweight after the fight, so maybe he's injured. Drank a bottle of wine. Maybe he's okay. in, yeah, he drank but a bottle. Of it wine actually wasn't a bottle of wine. It was actually a bottle of bacon grease. And yeah. now I'm 25 pounds over. What can I do? Um, I mean, 
he's always kind of it's always been kind of tough for him. He's huge. He's absolutely monstrous for this division. I think the way that this guy really blows up in between fights, Paulo Costa, it's like there's no good reason why he couldn't be very effective at 205 pounds. He'll be giving up a little bit of size there, but maybe that helps the cardio to extend, and, and maybe that would be a good spot for him. So I don't know. Maybe it's all mind games. Maybe it's absolutely nothing at all. All right. Uh, quickly, let's get into uh, we got a big uh, race. Race on Thursday night there, kid. Hell yeah, that's right. DOP, DOP Racing. I got to give a shout out to Mike Brown, Mike Inman, Brooks Joyner, Jared Price, Josh Sorensen, Richard J. Gould, Paul Shaughnessy, Pat Mayo, Pogi Rob, Jeff Feinberg, Dustin Chafee, Mike Alexander, Joshua Rakers, Eddie Gordon, Colin Bissett, Mike Harrington, Zach Conti. Uh, let me just scroll down here. Jake Bunn, Brad Smith, Kevin Napier, Ben Walker, Joshua Smith, Clint Graves, Earl Mayer, Jordan Moses, Chris Darabis? Darabis? Sorry if I mispronounced that one, buddy. Eddie Hanley, Sebastian Brown, Miles Lane, Joel Armstrong, Josh Swinitalski, John Schur, Dale Ledyard in the Hillbillies. What's up, Hillbillies? Thomas Avery, Andrew Sinclair, Freddie Mojica, Eric Plock, Joshua Slatley, Felix Levine, Michael Garabedian, Joshua Whitrow, Elias Pesakea, Matthew Fallon, John Vaccaro, Tyler Gates, Jonathan Norris, Trevor Chatton, Matt Dulkin, Samuel Villamani, Elish Goshberg, Dan Robinson and Jeremy Gray. What's up, boys? We got ourselves a racehorse and we got ourselves a race on Thursday night. So, yeah, what we went ahead and did, we kind of promoted it for about a three weeks period of time where you could get in and buy a fractional ownership. Those are the list of the guys that stood up to the play and said, you know what, let's have some fun this year. So, we went and we secured half of a yearling. A yearling is a baby horse, one year old. They cannot race until they're two years old. So, you are going to have to sit on this horse now. You, you're not going to be able to race him in June. June's your best case scenario, right? He develops properly. He comes around. He can race at two. If he's not ready for two, he can race at three. Large majority of horses end up racing by three. But the hope is you have a nice two-year-old, a nice three-year-old. That's where the real money is. So we know we're going to have to sit on him for anywhere between six to ten months. And, you know, who wants to sit for six to ten months on a what-if possibility that he does come around? Although he's a beautiful horse. If he does come around, we're going to have some, uh, some really good times. But in the meantime, we secured Callisto Dream. She's a three-year-old trotting mare. Uh, she's only had six career lifetime starts. She's won one of them already. She's got 15,000 Canadian on her card. She's racing this weekend or Thursday for 17,000. So the winner of the race gets 50%. Second place gets 25%. Third place gets 12%. Fourth place gets 8%. Fifth place gets 5%. We're looking for a top five finish. And yeah, we're going to have some fun, man. We're going to race this mare all winter, get DA Jimmy Cricket ready for the summertime. And then hopefully he's that big steak horse that we'd love him to be. He comes out. I know a lot of that sounds like gibberish. A lot of that sounds confusing. All you guys to know They'll send out that, that link replay. It'll be a thrilling time. And uh, yeah, just like my investments in MMA or my investments in my personal affairs uh, in real life, uh, it's all about making money, having fun, but it's got to be a business. I'm looking at this as a business. So we own fractional ownerships and two horses. You, as being one of my 1% owners, have a 1% ownership in the DOP racing stable as an entire operation. So I hope that we have a lot of fun, make money, have the right horse. And then next year we can go out and get two horses. Next year you can go get three horses. One good thing about this Callisto dream that we have is she's got a Royal pedigree on her. Like her dad made $3 million. Her mom made uh, 270. Her grandma made 450. They were all nice gold horses, right? She's not going to make 3 million. She, if things go well, she could be a horse that makes two, 300,000 on a card. What I'm saying is there's a lot of money in her family, 
So people are going to want to buy her as a broodmare. They're going to want to breed to something like that. So if she does well, makes money, DA Jiminy Cricket comes out, does well, makes money, you know, the next year or two, we probably end up close to a dream, has a good racing career, you retire her, and then breed her. And now you've got a baby every year, a baby every year. You could drop it in a yearling sale, make $40,000, $50,000 on a yearling, forty fifty American, or we could race it if we like it. So yeah. it's all about baby steps and creating a bigger operation. Um, sure. Same thing with betting MMA. I've been betting MMA for 10 years. The worst year I've ever had, I actually made 1800 bucks. The best year I had ever had was last year. I made 48000 it took me that entire run of 10 years. Same thing with uh, Twitter. I had 3,000 followers before the pandemic happened. I went to Florida like a week before the pandemic happened. They shut down the borders and I had like 3,200 followers. Okay. I almost have 13,000. How did I get those 10,000? It doesn't happen overnight. It's not no. some overnight success. It's like I've had Twitter for 12 years. I've been putting out gold as far as I'm concerned for like since 2011. It's just like it's a grind up to you learn. So, this horse racing thing is the same thing. We're going to start off with these two horses. And if things go well, lady luck's on our side. And of course, hard work ethic is going to take us there. Uh, yeah, down the road, man, we're going to have a stable of horses. So yeah. I'm really excited I'm, about what the future holds. I'm just excited to like be in the little group chat that we've got. Sweat, yeah. Sweating sweating some horse bets. And I don't know. Just, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a nice, it's it's a fun little community thing. And if we make money off of it, even better. But, I mean, everyone wants to make money. Obviously, you're a competitive guy. You, your family is competitive in this space. We want to win. But um, it's a fun it's a fun thing for us all to do at the end of the day. Any any funds that we make on top of it is just, you know, the icing on top of the cake. All right. Here's what I'm betting this week, Cody. Minus 125, Francisco Masaranduba. Can't leave my boy. He's and he's only six years older than this guy. Like that's that's like that's like the oldest uh, that's the smallest age disparity he's had in a fight in God knows how long. Um so Francisco Masaranduba can't qu- can't quit my boy. Uh Nick Nagumareno, uh, I see a plus one ten out there inside the distance. Uh Ike Ike doesn't go fifteen minutes and I I have to go with the durability of Nugu Marino in this spot. I'm probably going to bet some uh, Herbert KO. Uh, see some plus money out there on that. Under and fight doesn't go to decision in Molina versus Lacerda. That's just the read I've got from watching tape. And uh, that's more or less it for right now. But obviously with Paulo Costa coming in, Looking for a catchway fight. Mad Marvin with Vittori is not going to be very happy. I mean, if you think that he's mad in like the best of circumstances, just wait until he finds out that uh, Paolo's trying to pull a, uh, a quick one on him here. Um, if yeah. you think he's going to be mad, wait until you see how mad Dana White is when he realizes he needs to promote Ricky Glenn in the main <laughs> event and has a co-main event of Jesse Jess Clark versus Jocelyn Edwards. Nobody's more pissed off than Uncle Dana about this Dana's one. Dana's going completely. He's got nothing yeah. else to promote. His face is going to be redder than Mar- <laughs> Marvin's for sure. Oh, so yeah, I, th- you know those are I mean. the four bets. Sungwoo Choi, I think he's a decent parlay piece, but you're the parlay expert. That's what the people are here for. So we're just about out of time here, Cody. Before we go, hit him with the PRP. Okay, the PRP would be Marvin Vittori, Grant Dawson, Jocelyn Edwards, uh, Suwo Choi, Dwight Grant. That's dog number two, effectively dog number two. Nick Negamarianu, Gregory Rodriguez as even money, Mason Jones, Tabitha Ricci, Liriano Steropoli, Jay Herbert, 
Jeff Molina, Miranda Marcos. Ah, ah, I really don't like that one. As you can see, there's only we only like what three underdogs and 14 fights. Like it, this is where parlays are going to get tricky. So what I would like, Vittori, you can put him as a top ticket guy because you have until the main event to hedge out, see how the other thing scraps up. Grant Dawson, like Grant Dawson. Jesse Jessrose Clark versus Edwards, I would pass on that. I think it goes 15 minutes. Stuo Choi, he's parlay material for me. Dwight Grant versus Trinaldo, you don't need that. Nigga Marianu, I'm going to have to use him as parlay material, but hopefully a little lower than I'd like to. Gregory Rodriguez, I'm going to play. I'm going to pay to play for that one. My, you know, it's even money. What can you do? Jones is going to have to be parlayed. Tabitha Ricci is going to be lower on because you and I, you know, maybe that is a sniffable apple pie shit moment. I am going to take a shot on Jay Herbert. The Molina versus Lacerda fight, honestly, I don't really care for it. I think that you're going to get a better Molina line after the first round. And at minus 165, like he'd have to be lower on. And then Liviano versus Marcos, you really don't really need any exposure to that, to be perfectly honest with you. So if there's any props I see, then I'll tweet the props out as well. But for the most part, I'm looking to, just like always, just like always, but I'm looking to secure my two-fight parlay, my four-fight parlay, my six-fight parlay, and it'll be a great time. That's six fights. If I got those six fights right and got the other eight fights on the card wrong, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. It would be a profitable night for me. But people want to know the entire 14 fights and hopefully hit a PRP. And to that extent, I think we can hit it. You know what I mean? We're going to need some bounces. It's a 14-fight card. It's going to get greasy. But if those three underdogs hit and we get, what, 11 favorites do their job? Ah, I'll look at it again. We also got Bellator this weekend, so if we can sniff out the dives, then uh, we could put something decent together all around. But, yeah, yeah I mean, play, Are you releasing a Bellator video this week or what? You know what? I don't really know if I will. I don't really have the time. And it's not your typical – remember, I didn't release one for the uh, England show. I just released, like, here are the nine best picks on it. And the nine best picks happen to hit. I didn't actually pick on the entire card because there's a couple fights on it. It's like, what would you want any – you know, what would you want anything to do with that, right? Looking at the – have they even put the Bellator lines out yet? Yeah, okay, they're, so they're at, at a Bellator few line, – they're not at DraftKings Sportsbook yet, but they're 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 out there. Yeah. You got Fedor. Fedor's so pretty much Fedor, Tim Johnson, you go Tim Johnson day in, day out. He can still take a punch. He's got a wrestling grind. He can fight multiple rounds. He's honestly been fighting the best guys Bellator has to offer. Why Fedor chose him, I don't know. It is in Russia. Russia. They could potentially could try to do some, something with you. Something weird. Yeah, but it's only minus 120 Tim Johnson. Like, it should be minus 240 well, Tim Johnson. Which, Tim Johnson's still a relevant heavyweight. Which Fedor fight was it not. that, uh, you know, the ref just wouldn't let the finish happen? Fabio Maldonado. Yeah, that was a great fight. Yeah. Yeah, and Fabio almost Fabio almost, almost finished. The most judge, most refs step in. It's just like, it's almost like that ref knew that there was like a gun pointed at him. If you step in, you stop Fedor before he's like convulsing. Uh, you'll sleep in the in the under the bridge. Um, yeah, that's it, dude. He got he lasted thirty five seconds. He lasted thirty five seconds against Ryan Bader, right? And he lasted a minute fourteen against Matt Mitrio. Neither guy have had any success since fighting him. And then his last time out, he fought a three hundred pound Quentin Rampage Jackson, who actually looked like he was a four hundred pound Quentin Rampage Jackson. So like he's got some freak show fight exposure going on. But honestly, Tim Johnson just went five rounds with the. Best guy. It was an interim bantamweight heavyweight title fight. Valentin Maldonovsky is a stud. He just went fit. He just went full round with them. Chai Congo went the distance. Smashed Matt Mitrione. Beat Tyrell Fortune, who's everybody's darling. Mm-hmm. He's legitimately fighting the best guys. Still getting a good count of himself. D two wrestling. He's not getting taken down. They're gonna slug, 
I honestly think this is a, a shockingly low line at minus 130. Of course, you want Uzman or Magomedov, but he's a minus 2,000 favorite. What do you get out of that? Uh, Said Samna's live for an upset here over Vitaly Minikov at plus so? 220. Totally live. Yeah, totally live. So he's actually like full pro team member at American Top Team. And you do see that he's just getting better fight to fight. He just doesn't have a whole lot of fights. Uh, but the Bobby Brents fight, he won the Titan FC heavyweight title. He looked good there. The Tyrell Fortune fight, dude, he just got taken down repeatedly. Tyrell Fortune was a good collegiate wrestler. It happens. And then that last fight with Ronnie Marquez, he showed up on the scales looking good, knocked him out early in the first round. The thing with Vitaly Minikov is he's 36 years old now. He hasn't really been active for a long time. Two fights ago, he lost to Chai Congo in just the worst fight you've ever seen. And when she gets grinded on, he gets tired. He has no punching output. Yeah. He's got lackluster cardio. Like he's a blast it's just one from of the pe- He was arguably the best like heavyweight in the I world agree. during his during his heyday. But yeah, that was that heyday was back in like 2016, 2017, and he hasn't fought since 2019. So yeah, that all makes yeah. sense. And you, you, to be honest, like his heyday with Bellator, uh, Ron Sparks, Ryan Martinez. You know, oh Volkov, that that one stood out pretty good at the test of time. He already had beaten Chai Congo. All I'm saying is you can go through Peter Graham, 43 years old, DJ Linderman, 44 years old, Josh Copeland, 38 years old, Geronimo de Santos, 37 years old, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, 41 years old, Tony Johnson Jr., 37 years old, Chai Congo, 44 years old, Tim Johnson, 37 years old. Like what? All he does is fight these aged guys, and none of them are putting pressure on him. Said Sama is better than his record shows. He's just a live dog, is all I'm saying. One only Don't question. Don't get your apple pie shit on 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 uh, Minikov. If 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 Salma can't finish Minikov, who's obviously twenty two and one, he's never been finished. Yeah, that's a good point in Russia. Are they gonna yeah, screw? Like, is he gonna get the Russian screw job? Because this that would seem like a gigantic Russian screw job spot. Yeah, you know what you're. You're actually very much right about that. <laughs> I just, I and, smell that pie. I smell, the, I smell the, the shit in that pie. Um, yeah, no, sorry. I, I'm, I'm cutting you off too much. I know, I've, I know nothing about this. Uh, yeah, hit, hit him up with like the, 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 the perceived locks of the card and hit him up for me because I'm writing them down so I can parlay things. <laughs> okay. Well, just to scramble your brain real quick and then we'll jump yeah. into things. Wouldn't it be a lot easier for the Russian mob to back the plus 220 underdog? Oh, shit. Take a dive, Minikov. <laughs> or maybe they screw him on the scorecards. Could go either way, right? Tokov should roll as long as there's no fight fixing going on here. You're going to pass on that women's fight. Uh, who else did I like? Okay, so Kirill Sildenikov. Two Tokovs He's for, as- for the record. Yeah. yeah Vladimir Tokovs, and Anatoly. And should- You're talking about Anatoly, I think. Is who should well, roll. they should they should both roll. One of them's a minus five hundred favorite. The other one's a minus five fifty favorite. And again, looking at both of them, they should roll. One price I like is this minus three hundred price tag on this Nikita uh, Mikhailov. So I've actually made a lot of money betting Brian Moore. Brian Moore is one of the guys that I would say I got a pretty good read on him. And as thing as he is a really like nice striker, and he's and he's he, he's a little flimsy, and he doesn't have the best durability. This Russian guy is just gonna put a grind on. Mm-hmm. Right, so it is a three to one favorite, but that's going to be one of the ones you're probably going to look for. And again, he's doesn't look like he's fought in limited competition, but he's fought in some tough Russian level guys. His problem is he hasn't fought in two and a half years, whereas Brian Moore competes fairly frequently. Uh, Kirill Sadelnikov is known as Baby Fedor, he usually appears on Bellator or on uh, yeah, prelims for Fedor his entire career. Yeah, he fought for Affliction back in the day, he's kind of been fraudulent his entire career. He should win this fight, but again, at minus two. 
65, you know, he's not above taking a dive or something like that. And uh, yeah, honestly, dude, I see a lot of potential dives. I like this Gratchik Bozinian. He's a pretty tough guy. Um, I hate to say it. Uh, I, I know we're probably going long here. What are we at? Do I have we're time for a quick like, story? We're, we're like close to two hours now. Okay, I don't have time for a quick story. I'll no, tell you on the Belichick preview you, if I get you, around you to it. You can tell the story. You can tell the story. I got nowhere to be. Okay. All right. I got, okay, okay. Let me bring it up right here. Because this is not just bullshit. This is the fucking... Tr- oh, I should have bleeped that out. I'll cut this out of the, the TV rerun because let's face it, no one's going to... Uh, I'll just cut this out. No one's going to care about Bellator previews. It's no. the day before. Okay, so... Just got to break up the... Right. I always have trouble sparking. Okay, okay, okay. okay. This goes back to the year would have been 2014. The year's 2014. We're, we're going to fight network. Gabe Morenci's we're going to fight network. He's always good for a good time. I won't directly say the guy's name because who the hell knows, but Gabe Morenci has a very good friend, happens to be a very well-known lines maker from Costa Rica. I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And he, he hits him up to be like, hey, man, straight up, just so you know, this Bellator 120 card is going down, and the word is they're going to they're gonna fix it. These Russians on the card are looking to fix these fights. This Bellator 120 card, just want to give you a heads up. So anyways, he tells us about, oh, I talked to my guy, I talked to my guy. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I've heard that one before. All right, tin hat, tin hat. What ends up proceeding to happen is a bunch of American fighters fight. The first one is Shambalot, Shambalot, or Shakbalot Shambalayev. Okay? No. He fights on Fabrizio Guerrero. He's a plus 350 favorite. He should walk right through this guy. His career to this point has been magnificent. He's a Bellator tournament champion. He's cast iron. He's from Dagestan. He is... A very unbelievable fighter. He gets caught in the most rudimentary Kimura from guard and just lets the open tap go. Very strange situation. He never fought professional MMA ever again. Mm -hmm. Three years after this fight, he actually got shot up in a Russian nightclub. Turns out he had Russian mob ties. The only other Russian fighter that appears on the card, we'll get to it, the next Russian that appears on the card is Alexander Volkov. Alexander Volkov actually wins his fight, which would discredit the theory, but he beats Blagoy Ivanov who would then theoretically have the same opportunity, right? He trains with a lot of Russian fighters. He's a Bulgarian fighter. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally enough, Blagoy Ivanov ended up getting stabbed in the heart in a Bulgarian nightclub just a few, <laughs> mo- like, not not shortly thereafter the fight with Volkov. No, yeah, I've both seen, of them I've seen... threw their fights. Both of them lost their fights, Paul. And both of them nearly got killed because of mob ties in the events leading afterwards. The third Russian and the last Russian that appears in the yes. card Shlomenko. is Alexander Shlomenko. He blew a plus 500 ticket, or he was a six to one favorite over Tito Ortiz. He was the promotion's middleweight champ. He moved up to 205 pounds and rolled over. It is one of the saddest performances you will ever see in your life, the way he's in this arm triangle and taps. He does not even put up no resistance. In theory, those three Russian fights were the three fixes on that card. And now I can't prove it. All I got is a theory, right? I'm just some guy with a tinfoil hat right? mm-hmm. yeah not gonna get my money pal i'm not gonna <laughs> run into that problem so i'm looking to keep it very limited now when the ufc goes to moscow i'm not gonna have that same feeling those guys are for the most part ufc athletes with contracts ufc is gonna look into it on a bellator card well, bang bang me? versus Kuntz. remember remember bang cunts bang versus Kuntz. yeah it happens people don't want to admit it happens because they don't have stone cold evidence but it's like well that line flipped uh, i remember that like it was that, that fight was like that card started like like three o'clock in the morning local time or something like that and it's like i remember like that line went from like was it leo leo Kuntz was like the favorite and then it flipped like he was like a plus 290 underdog i, I forget I'm, I'm obviously 
you know, memory is not serving me right right now. But yeah, like everything about that line movement just like screen stink. And then he didn't follow through with the fix, right? That's that's what happened there. It's like a bang, bang didn't follow through with like actually rolling over. Yeah, so man, it sounds greasy, but how often do we look at this greasy stuff? And if you thought Las Vegas judging was bad, if you thought Texas judging was bad, if you thought Florida judging was bad, wait until somebody's family is being held captive and they better get the right name on the scorecard or they get the hose again. You don't want the hose again, man. Get the card right. And so there could be a little bit behind the scenes stuff going on and for that reason that bellator card i want to keep it i want to keep it limited in mm-hmm. fact one of the reasons i want timothy johnson is i think he'll get a stoppage victory right these fights that go to decision Fair. yeah you're opening yourself up for a uh, a bad time bad time you but anyways last week time. it was reversed didn't love the ufc love the bellator this week i like this ufc i don't love the bellator between the two of them hopefully we can get the right winning combinations and keep the profit train rolling all right, kaboom. All right, that is it for us this week. Finally, after about two hours. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftik, producer Matt, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.